And now, introducing an opening day poem. The O's do not play, but it's here anyway. What's that you say? Why, it's opening day. There's hot dogs galore and peanut shells on the floor, even though it's raining here in Baltimore. So plop down on the couch and turn on the TV. Watch the Brewers and Cubs or the Mets in D.C. Settle in, grab a beer, because it's finally here. We can finally say that it's opening day. Oh, yeah, he's Glenn Clark. Okay. Good morning, it's Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn, he's Paul. Busy, busy day ahead of us as we are going to celebrate, unlike anyone has ever celebrated before, a 30th anniversary in one day. No one will ever have a 30th anniversary in one day party like we're having today. As uh, just the way that uh, timing worked out, we're going to chat about the uh, 30th anniversary this week of the first ever game at Camden Yards. Rick Sutcliffe will join us in just a bit. Larry Lucchino, man whose vision brought us Camden Yards, will uh, join us a little bit later on in the program. Looking forward to catching up with both of them. Also this morning, we are going to chat with Boye Mafe, one of the top edge rush prospects in the NFL draft. The Minnesota edge rusher will check in with us later on this hour. And we're going to have a conversation with Danny Manning, the uh, former interim Maryland basketball coach. Obviously, it was it was a weird year. Um, there's, there's no getting around that. It was a weird year for Danny Manning. We will get his thoughts on all of that. Maryland basketball moving forward. Imagine maybe there's some disappointment that he didn't get the gig, things like that. We'll chat about it all with uh, Danny Manning here coming up in just a bit. So all of that on the docket today, as well as Weekend at Bookies, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. Every other Thursday at 11.40 a.m., we bring you Weekend at Bookies, along with Simply the Bets, every Tuesday at 11.40 a.m. Andrew Stecker will join us. We'll get the Stetson figures We'll get the fine lines with our guy Brad Feinberg from Bet Prep. All of that on the way this morning at 11.40. So an insanely busy day with much to do. Speaking of the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, don't forget that's where Drew Forrester and I will be this Sunday for the final round of the Masters. Hope you come join us. Great giveaways, free rounds of golf. We are giving away free rounds of golf Sunday during the final round of the Masters. Drew's got to do his radio show from 12 to 2, so he'll be coming down and meeting me whenever he finishes that. And we will be with you for that final round to see who it is that wins the green jacket and to try to help you win some money. Drew will be there to be a a not-so-pretty face. I'll be there to be the golf expert. That's the way it will go. Look forward to seeing you in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. So, uh, speaking of which, right now, the latest. Something called a Migliozzi is leading the Masters. Captivating. Tiger tees off in 30 minutes. All right. It's not on TV. You can stream it, but it's not on TV. It's the dumbest. It's so stupid the way they do this. It's always been this way. And, like, they've convinced themselves it makes them more exclusive, which is exactly what they want. They want to continue to portray themselves as being the most exclusive place on the face of the planet. So it's more exclusive that you can only watch for four hours a day on TV. That's so dumb. It's, 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 but it's it, always been dumb. How's a golf channel it's not? It's just p- dumb. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with everybody wants it. They won't let you. 
It's these, and, and, and look, I don't want to do this because everybody's excited about the Masters, so I'm not. I'm just gonna leave it alone. Glenn, you sound sexier today. Alone. I don't know what that is because I don't. I don't think it's allergies. I have no idea where that came from. Maybe just need some water. Honestly, that could be nothing other than that. I don't know what that's all about, but eh, anyway, that's the way it'll go. Hey, uh, quickly, a couple things. One, yesterday, uh, a few of you, including Paul and Ovilando, asked me to talk about a group of Maryland women's basketball players all transferring, Angel Reese leading the way, uh, Mimi Collins and um, Ashley Wusu, some of their top players all choosing to transfer, and the fact that, yes, it is a bit of a pattern that we've seen a number of Maryland women's basketball players transfer over the last five years. And I, I poked around a little bit on it. I didn't want to speak about it until I had poked around a little bit on it, and I did poke around a little bit on it yesterday. And the first thing I was told was like, look, this is not – it's not as nefarious as you think it is, or as not I think it is. Some people think it is. There are different scenarios with each player. Now, that doesn't mean it's not concerning. I was also reminded there are currently over 1,000 women's basketball players in the transfer portal. 1,000 Division One women's basketball players in the transfer portal. So... You know, it, I get it that not all of them are at programs like Maryland where they're trying to win national championships. A lot of them are players at programs, say, like High Point, where they're just seeing if there's somewhere else they can go to get a little more attention. I don't have an easy answer for you. I certainly don't think it's a condemnation of the coach. I do think that there are times where decisions like this are made because a player and a coach don't see eye to eye. I think there are also times, like I was told very clearly that Ashia Wusu has nothing to do with that. It's just a sort of a personal decision for her and, and her family and where she wants to be playing basketball. That's all that it is. Um, I've had a couple of people tell me, I don't want to, I don't want to give anything. I know that um, uh, Jeff Ehrman's site, InsideMDSports.com, reported about uh, Angel Reese's situation, and so I'll, I'll let you go read that there because they charge money for that, so I'm not going to share it. Um, but it is a little bit different, and it's a bit more unique related to basketball specifically. Everybody's situation appears to be a bit different when it comes to this group of players that's transferring, and I get it. We're going to overreact. Also bear in mind... We're still in the grace period where players can transfer without penalty. It's not always going to be that way. And we're having a bit of a, um, I, I don't know, a reckoning maybe is the word. I think there are people that didn't really want this, that said they wanted there to be more power for players until they realized that meant the players were going to use that power. I, I have no issue with this. As we've always said, coaches can leave whenever they want to leave. Mark Turgeon quit on his team this season. And I get it. You know, there was conspiracy there. Maryland was happy to have him go. But he left. So why should a player be beholden to have to stay? If Mark Turgeon had been offered a job at the end of the year to go coach somewhere else, he could have done that. Doesn't appear as though he's going to choose to, but he could have if someone had wanted to hire him. This is the problem that I have. The idea that it's somehow a bad thing that players are transferring or that they get a, you know, at least a one-time option to transfer without penalty. 
some players are transferring multiple times. I, I don't I've never understood why that's something that we should think is a problem. I went to multiple colleges during my collegiate career. Me too. I didn't have to pay a penalty when I did it. I didn't have to go sit out for a little while and go work at Starbucks, Buckstars, until I, I like I just don't get it. I don't get it. I I say I don't get it. I do. I understand. Now it impacts me. I'm a fan. I don't want my favorite players going somewhere else. So now it impacts me. So now I don't like it. I'm going to say I want the players to have the power. I want them to be able to profit off of NIL. I didn't love, uh, apparently Kevin Willard went on a oh, John Rothstein's podcast. I think our poor Ryan Shell, who I love and I appreciate all his hard work, tweeted this to me. Like I wanted to put Ron, John Rothstein on the show. That will not be happening. He does not offer anything. Um, but he went on that podcast, and, and he was sort of talking about the pratfalls of NIL. And I was like, man, I, you're not going to get me to be okay with this. We're not going to do the bit where we're like, this is a problem. You'll never, this thing where you're like, well, it, it, it's being used to certain schools' advantages because they have donors who are willing to pay. Good. That means the player is worth that. The fact that your school can't take advantage of it the way that someone else's can is not the problem. The problem is when we try to say to players and, and people who have skills, you're not allowed to take advantage of that. I don't know how good of an accountant you are or ditch digger or whatever it is. And it might very well be that on the free market, everyone else agrees you're only really worth $80,000 a year. But if some company comes to you and says, I'm willing to pay you $150,000 a year. Do you say, well, that's not fair to them? I can't take that money? Throws everything out of whack? Steve's accounting can't hire me now? So I can't take your $150,000? Joe's accounting? We've lost touch because we think our fanaticism is what matters. The system should allow... For the student-athletes, the ones with the skills, to be able to profit the way any other adult can with whatever skill that they have. And you don't like it because you think that certain programs and certain schools are more set up to be able to capitalize on it. Too bad. Sorry. It's a bummer. But the idea that that should mean that we should change the rules or cap what it is that an athlete is allowed to make, nonsense. If you are a influencer, you can take whatever money you want to take from anyone. You want me to promote your morgue on, on TikTok? That's weird, but I'll go and do a dance in front of a casket. And take your money. I'm befuddled by why we struggle with this. This is the system that we want. Because it's the fair and equitable system. Because the benefactors are supposed to be the ones with the skills. The people that we want to watch play the sports. 
And if our schools that we like get left behind in the process, it ain't their fault. And I'm not saying that's necessarily even what happened with like the Maryland women's basketball team. I, I think, in fact, that Angel Reese was doing fairly well NIL-wise at Maryland. It's just that this is the thing we complain about because all of a sudden, now wait a second, we were okay with this, but three players have left my favorite team. It's just about NIL. That's all it is. NIL ain't the problem. And it's also not the responsibility of anyone related to the University of Maryland or any other school to make sure they're giving more money in NIL deals to student-athletes. It's not their job or their obligation. If you're a fan of the University of Maryland, you'd probably like that. You'd love it if there was some wealthy donor who owned a company who was like, hey, I'll every student-athlete at Maryland, I'm going to give them X amount of dollars to promote my company. You'd love that because it would probably be helpful and it would – Make more kids want to come to Maryland to take advantage of that NIL deal. But it's reality. They don't have to do that. If you don't like it, I don't know, start a comp. Go be Elon Musk. Start a company. Make a lot of money. Give it to kids to get them to come to your favorite school. That's how you can solve the problem. I get that's not really something that you can do. Not tomorrow. But this is the way the world works. I mean, life's tough. Get a helmet. It's from Boy Meets World. I uh, know. I love it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, I, we, we lose our minds about it. It, it just sort of it blows me away when we lose our minds about it because I just sort of say, like, I don't know what you thought was going to happen here. And this isn't the problem. It's not. And... You know, if, if Kevin Willard is concerned about the fact that maybe Maryland's a little bit behind, and we've heard that from a few people, that Maryland is a bit behind in NIL in comparison to other schools. If Kevin Willard's concerned about that, here's what I would encourage you to do. Win. You know what happens when you win? More area businesses are invested. More money people want to be involved. They might be more inclined to spend money on players. And if that's the case... Those players might be more inclined to want to come to Maryland. But it's got to start with winning. Isn't this kind of like a chicken and the egg situation, though? Yes, where you, you can you argue that, right? It's more difficult. How are you going to start winning if you don't have that inherent? You can have that in conversation all you want. And so we can come back to saying, hey, this is all Mark Turgeon's fault because they were no good when NIL was implemented. And so there was less investment from um, the, the Maryland community, the, the business community, to try to invest NIL money in Maryland student-athletes. But you're going to have to make it work anyway. Mm -hmm. The notion that every team that succeeds is the team that's getting the most NIL dollars is simply untrue. Now, there is probably a correlation, but do you think the St. Peter's kids were getting the most NIL dollars? What do you think they went out and won basketball games? Gary Williams won a national championship without a single McDonald's. I mean, that's a different conversation because there was no NIL at the time, right? Like but nobody, else, made but nobody, nobody had the advantage of being able to offer money. Legally, I'm sure somebody was offering money. Mm. Um, this is a different conversation. Now we're talking specifically about you're allowed to do it, and I'm telling you there's no way that the kids at St. Peter's were profiting off of NIL. Not before they made this. I mean, some of them were probably making a little bit of money, but like mm -hmm. nobody, not the way that, certainly not the way that other schools were. That they, if there's no chance that St. Peter's kids were making more NIL money than Kentucky kids were. Right. And who won that game? Go win, 
Go in, and you might get the NIL thing lifted up a bit. Go in. That's my answer. Complaining and bitching and pissing and moaning about NIL is for the birds, dude. For anyone. From anyone on the planet. You're behind. The world has moved on. You can join if you want to join. You can whine if you want to whine. But we're moving on. We're not going back. If we do, shame and a pox on the NCAA. These young people, like anyone else on the planet, deserve the right to be able to profit to whatever they can extent they can profit off of their skills. And if that profit is greater at Oklahoma than it is at Illinois, so be it. Believe it or not, young people that have a certain skill in New York might be better suited to profit than young people that have a certain skill in Missoula, Montana. The world ain't equitable. But that doesn't mean the people that are involved should be forced to take less. That's nuts. It's been sticking in my craw for a couple of days, man. It really has. It's been it's been bugging me some of the things that I've been seeing. All right. Um, when we come back in, we are going to celebrate the 20th anniversary. Well, the 30th, sorry about that. 30th and one day anniversary of the first ever game at Camden Yards. As baseball indeed gets underway this season day, the Orioles are off. They will play tomorrow. Today's show brought to you by the Stand the Fan Variety Hour. Drew Forrester joins him tonight. We'll cover a lot of ground, including the Masters, of course. And if you missed Jim Poole early in the week with Stan and Ross, I encourage you to check that out. Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. It's Glenn Clark. No, it's PressBoxOnline.com slash video is where you find that. We're radio. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org. The newest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland men's basketball's 2002 NCAA Tournament Championship. As Gary Williams reflects on how the program rose from the ashes of NCAA sanctions to the pinnacle of the sport, and why his perspective of the title run has changed now two decades later. Plus, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, and the rest of the team relive the moments that ultimately led them to cutting down the nets in Atlanta. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. 
Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point. Boulevard. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Stay tuned. Your chance to win a million dollars is coming up. Probably not from us. You're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. All right, back in here on GCR, a Thursday edition of the program. Today's show is also brought to you by, this one's brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4, available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. We actually had to do this uh, yesterday afternoon because of his schedule, getting ready for a season opener with the Cubs today, but an opportunity to chat with the man who started the first ever game at Camden Yards. It's Rick Sutcliffe here on GCR. This week, we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the first ever game at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I remember it like it was yesterday. On April 6, 1992, this man mowing down the Cleveland Indians en route to a complete game shutout. It's a pleasure for us to welcome back to the program former Orioles pitcher. He's an analyst for the Cubs out on Marquee in Chicago. He is the great Rick Sutcliffe, and he's back with us now on GCR. Rick, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It is always great to catch up with you, sir. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. <laughs> Glenn, it's, it's great to be with you, and, and I'll promise you this, it never gets old. Talking about 30 years ago and opening day there, and, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I, owe, I owe most of the credit um, to Johnny Oates. Obviously, he never mm. threw a pitch, but mm. it would have never happened for me without him. And I'll never forget something he told me as we walked to the mound. Uh, it was 1991 in December, the middle of December. It was cold. Camden Yard wasn't completed yet, but it was just him and I on the mound. And he goes, hey, I want you to look around because you're going to throw the first pitch ever in this ballpark. <laughs> and, you know, I really had no intention of, of signing with Baltimore. I had a lot of other options. I didn't know what I was going to do. And he goes, look at me. He goes, it'll be a day you never forget. And you know what? I mean, 30 years later, uh, he could not have been more right. Wow. It's so powerful. I remember talking with you 
Rick, we chatted actually 10 years ago on the 20th anniversary of the first game. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, it was powerful for me then, listening to how you, the reverence that you have for this moment. And, and I say that because you accomplished so many things in your career. You did so many incredible things, winning a Cy Young Award and, and going to All-Star Games. And yet listening to the reverence you have for this moment in a place where you spent you know, kind of a blip of your career at the tail end is powerful to me. Why does it mean so much to you that you were the guy, not just that started, but had such a great performance in that first game at Camden Yards? You know, Glenn, I think first of all, the fact that, you know, those two years I was there, um, I never played in front of an empty seat. Mm. Um, I, I knew going in from my experience playing with the Cleveland Indians and coming to Baltimore, I knew all about the, the Oriole fan and the Oriole way and how much they loved baseball, they loved their team, how much they knew about the game. And, you know, that was an exciting part about it. And, you know, just, just thinking back on, on, uh, on that day and just how lucky I was um, for Johnny to have said that. And then, Lynn, as you remember, I told you the same story 20 years ago, but there's people listening now that, that might not have heard it. It might not have been alive when we talked the last time. But, um, you know, with two weeks to go in spring training, I went to Johnny and I go, Johnny, you're making a mistake. I go, Mike Mussina is a lot better than me. <laughs> and he looked at me laughing, and he said, Ben McDonald's better than you, too. <laughs> but here's the deal. I don't want them pitching on opening day. I don't want them dealing with all of that. I don't want them to have to face everybody else's number one starter. We finished in last the year before in 91. Yep. For us to be a contender, we need to be well over 500, and you're going to hold your own, and we're going to get above 500 on the arms of those two guys. And Again, when you look back, I was 16 and 15, and those guys carried us. Um, you know, we were on we were on Toronto's tail pretty much the whole year. It's a great point. It's a really great point. Rick Sutcliffe is with us as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of the first game at Camden Yards. Rick, um, did, did you know, like, look, we all know it's been a difficult time for the Orioles, but nothing about the mystique of the ballpark has changed. It set the standard, and it continues to be – amongst the most revered baseball stadiums in, in the world. Um, what did you know when you walked in the first time about how special it was and the impact it, it might have on the next 10, 20 years of the game of baseball? You know, Glenn, Johnny pointed out a couple of things. He said, look over here and it'll remind you of Fenway. And he says, look there and it'll remind you of Wrigley. And it, you know, it just kind of took you back to two of the all-time great ballparks. And then all of a sudden, you, you looked at the, the newness of it and how it was like, you know, both of those ballparks, it's like you turned back the clock and you went back to when they were first established. And I think more than anything that I ever noticed was a, a lot of the things that my wife told me. Um, when she came in, she talked about how I don't need to cook anymore. We can plan every meal around the food and, and, the, and, and the service and restaurants that they had there, those mm. crab cakes and, 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 and just every restaurant you went to. I mean, every, everything was like five-star compared to, you know, the three-month-old hot dog and the stale popcorn, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that, you know, you got in a lot of the other ballparks. And then she said, you know, we, we, she had four seats. And as you know, I bought 50 seats. Um, for my foundation that we gave away to charity. Right. Um, we gave uh, to every home game. We gave them away to people that normally wouldn't be able to come to the game. And to a person, the people that called and thanked me and, and, and all of that, they talked about how every seat was angled towards the mound. 
towards towards where most of the action was going to happen, as opposed to the old ballparks. And, and you know, I mean, I, I started out at Dodger Stadium. I didn't think anything would ever be more beautiful than that. I, I still think it's as pretty as any ballpark ever built, but it wasn't built for the fan like the ballpark at Camden Yard was. Wow. Every seat was angled. Every seat was a little bit bigger. Everything was just a little bit better for the experience of the Oriole fan. And it, it's it's remained that way, and and it's remarkable. They, you know, there is one significant change this year, Rick, which is they they pushed the left field wall back because the ball was yeah, flying out. Yeah, that would have been nice, you know, thirty <laughs> years ago. Right. You know, my ERA went from like three seven to a little bit over four. <laughs> but the excitement was there because you know I had I had Mike Devereaux and Brady Anderson yep. and George. I had them jumping over fences right and left. They were pretty good at it. To take home runs away. They were pretty good at jumping over the fence. You, do you make too much of that, Rick? Like, you know, uh, I think we all believe that the um, the Orioles are, are looking at the need to sign pitchers in the next couple of years, and they want to get numbers down to a place where pitchers say, no, we could go pitch there, and, and we don't have to worry about getting shelled. Is it? Is it as big of a deal as we think it is moving, not just moving the fence back, but then raising the wall so significantly? Like, will it make a drastic impact on the way that we've watched baseball in Baltimore over the years? I, I think that's such a great question, and, and I think there's more to it, Glenn. I, okay. I think the fact that every ballpark's going to have a humidor now, um, I, I think that's going to play into it. Um, I, I think, you know, now there's, there's one standard rosin bag for everybody. Um, I saw it in spring training. I held it. It's going to give you a better grip um, on the baseball on days when it's really hot, as it can be in Baltimore. I think there's a lot of things that's going to go into maybe cutting down the strikeout, taking away some of the home runs, and creating more action, which is what all of us that are in the, in the baseball business mm-hmm. or, or, or as a fan or whatever, you know, you just want to see something happen. And I think that the, there's a lot of things that are going in that direction. You know, it's so funny you say that, Rick, because I, I look, I, and maybe as a pitcher, you might argue against it. I am in love with the extra inning rule. I, I think it's wonderful. I, I, mean, I was a guy that thought I would hate it. What are we doing? This is a joke. And the first time I saw it, I said, oh, my God, this is baseball. Like, this is not six innings of guys going up and swinging for home runs, and, and it's unwatchable. There's action, and there's strategy, and this is what, as a kid, I fell in love with about the game. Um, again, I can understand why pitchers maybe don't love inheriting a runner on second base, but the fact that they're doing it this year, do, do you like the extra inning rule? Do you see the advantage of, hey, we played nine innings, we played a baseball game, now maybe we do something else, and you know it just so happens to be that there's a little strategy and action involved in doing it. Glenn, absolutely I do. I was never a big fan of the seven-inning double-hitter. Um, I, I didn't feel like the fan got their money's worth, but I totally agree with you there. And I'll tell you, all you got to do, and, you know, I've, I've worked for ESPN for 25 years. Yep. I'm with the Marquee Sports Network now, which is the TV station for the Cubs. All you have to do, even for us in the broadcast booth, is when it gets to the 10th inning, look at the crowd. And I'll guarantee you 90% of the time, yep. half the people aren't still there. Yep. They've gotten their money's worth. They've gotten everything they want. The people that stay, the only thing they want is a winner. Who who won the game? Yep. And I literally, I go back to that All Star game in Milwaukee mm-hmm. when all of a sudden they just called it a tie. What? What? Are, what are we doing? Come up with some kind of a home run derby. I was broadcasting for MLB International, and I'm with Gary Thorne, and I said, Gary, why don't they just? I, I think it was Mark Grace and Robin Ventura were on the bench. Bring them out there. 
Let them throw BP to you know a couple of the guys, and whoever hits the most homer wins the All Star game. Who who cares? I mean, it didn't matter as far as home field was concerned right. and all of that. You just need a winner. Yeah, give so, the people a winner, right? All these people are at the ballpark. <laughs> Let the game end with somebody being happy. You're you're exactly right, my uh, friend. I am I am in love with it. I'm so glad it's back this year. I hope they they keep it around because I'm with you. What and what you just alluded to, Rick? I I. I understand the value of home runs, and I know that that fans are into home runs, and you know the old Greg Maddox, the chicks dig the long ball, right? Like I get it, <laughs> but man, the the excitement of stolen bases, the excitement of a big inning where guys are are moving station to station, I, and I feel like an old man yelling at a crowd, and I'm not I'm not even as old as you, Rick. Not that I'm trying to age you, right? But like, <laughs> I, it's there's just something about that. That's the romantic part of the game to me. Is that was what made it so much fun to watch the Kenny Loftons of the world play baseball, man. The things they would yeah. do despite not being home run hitters. Oh, going back to Maury Willows and yeah. how the Dodgers won yeah. all those games in World Series. I, you know, I it's just it, 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 it's kind of funny to me. You talked about digging the long well. There was five times that I really enjoyed the home run, and that's when I, I hit. You the hit him right, exactly. Right. There were two hundred and thirty-six times when I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> that you were counting over, over eighteen years that I gave up. So yeah, I'm with you on that, buddy. Hey, uh, Rick Sucklev, just another couple of minutes with him here as we celebrate uh, 30 years ago this week, the first game at Camden Yards. Rick, did you keep anything from that day? Is there anything that you still have, like, in your office? You know, we, we talk about all the things you accomplished. Was there anything about that first game that you said, I want to make sure I hold on to the lineup card or the a ball, anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I, I, I do. I have something that, that's really special. Um, somehow Cal Ripken had a picture from above the stadium down on the first pitch. And you actually see the ball like halfway to home. And um, Cal came over, and he, he had one, and he gave me one. Wow. And, and I signed his, and he signed mine. And we kind of looked like, you know, let's, just, let's keep this between ourselves. And we had everybody else on the lineup sign it. And I, from what I heard, Cal donated his to, um, you know, he's really involved in reading and kids reading books and yep. doing that. I heard that it went up for like an auction, and who knows how much he got for it. But, Glenn, I, I still have my copy. That's and cool. And it's framed. It's on the wall. You can read all the autographs. Um, and I believe there's only two of them. Um, I know I only signed two, so there's, not, there, there's no more of, those, of that picture signed by, by me other than, you know, the one I signed for Cal. So, and I have the same thing in mind. I have a foundation, like we talked about with uh, the season tickets that I gave away. Uh, at some point, we'll find a really special charity a really special event and uh we'll put that up for auction and we'll try to help some people out that's awesome oh that's so cool rick that is it's a really neat piece to be able to hold on to and have the opportunity to do something like that and then uh, uh, let me ask you just a little bit about the cubs you know it, it probably not the same excitement that there was for a few years but there's still a lot of pieces there and a division that kind of seems like it's still pretty wide open um how you feeling about the cubs as we get the season underway well, it's interesting you say that because I'm pulling up to Wrigley Field right now <laughs> to get ready to get after it. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think the thing, you know, obviously the Cubs missed the playoffs last year. They lost 91 games. Um, but you know what? When you're a Cub fan and you think back over the last seven or eight years, um, it's probably been the best run that any Cub fan that's still alive can remember. Um, you know, being in the playoffs every year, finally winning that World Series. Um, it's been a great run. And a lot of people want to compare this year to what happened in 2012 when 
Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer took over, and it it was a long rebuild. They were in last for five consecutive years. Um, they didn't get anything done until 2015. Um, I was in spring training then, and I was in spring training all of this year. And I'm telling you, it's night and day as far as the difference is concerned. Mm. There was no ability or prospects at all in the farm system back in 2012. This might be the best farm system in baseball right now because of the same thing that Theo and Jed did back then. Because of the trades that they've made, we know about Rizzo and Baez and, and, and Bryant being traded last year. You Darvish was traded. Greg Kimball was traded. I mean, they they created they they brought in the top prospects that they could get to go along with some great draft picks that they've made. And I promise you this, the second half of the year, you're going to hear a lot of names that you might not have heard before, and you're going to hear those names for a long time. Interesting. We will, we will look, you know, things might not be so great in Baltimore this year, so we might be looking for um, a couple other places to pay attention. We're hoping that they're turning the corner, but it might, it might be a bit still. I'm right there with you. I'm, yeah. I've got that same hope. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe, um, it's really wonderful to catch up with you. I know it's at Sut underscore 40 on Twitter is how people can give you a follow. Is there anything else that we can plug for you with it, with all the wonderful things that you do, Rick? You know, um, I, I just really, when I woke up this morning and, and got on the plane, my wife looked at me and she goes, you're excited again, aren't you? Mm. And I go, yeah. I go, what, what, what is it? And she goes, well, the last couple of years it's been different. And it was different when spring training didn't begin on time this year. But watching baseball in, in Arizona the last week of spring training, um, the crowds were back. The energy was back. Um, the passion was back. The way the game was being played was exciting again. There was interaction between the coaches and the players and the media and the fans. I mean, everybody was kind of back together where you weren't afraid of each other. And, uh, that's that's the exciting exciting that's part a great to me point. about another opening day. Boy, that's a great point, man. We we, we had we, in Baltimore we had ten thousand people in the stadium on opening day last year. We haven't had an open a full stadium on opening day in three years. That's such a great point, Rick. And and that'll be a wonderful feeling being back at the park. And and health wise, everything's still good for you. Everything's great. Yeah, I love, I'm a full rectal cancer survivor, as you know. Love uh, that. Sixteen years ago, um, go get a colonoscopy. Forty five, fifty years old. If you have any history of of colon cancer in your family, you might want to go when you're 40. Um, early detection is the reason I'm still here. Rick Sutcliffe, always a pleasure to spend time with you, my friend. Thank you for doing this for us today and, and appreciate the hearing the reverence that you have for what that time in Baltimore meant to you. It means a lot to all of us back this way. Hey, it's nice for us all far to be remembered once in a while. I appreciate your time, Glenn. Thank you, sir. Oh, and that's Rick Sutcliffe, and we take any time for Rick Sutcliffe is uh, obviously an cr- incredible baseball mind and uh, so many wonderful memories of that first day in 1992, which he says wouldn't have happened if not for Johnny Oates, who said, look, man, both Messina and McDonald are better than you, but frankly, I, I don't want to put that pressure on them. And so uh, Rick Sutcliffe made that first start, and boy, did he deliver in that first ever game. What a memory that was of his brilliance in April of 1992. All right, uh, today's show also brought to you by the Baltimore police who are looking for some folks join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good, bpdrecruit.org. Hey, quickly, uh, John Little Rock, we did. I, I, I talked to Janet Marie. She has a job currently with another team, so it would just kind of limit how much she was able to talk about. And so we just decided that we would um, we would skip that. And that's, you know, I love Janet Marie, and she was so important in Camden Yards being what it is and, um, 
you know, it's just an awkward spot when you when you're actively working for another team to talk about the stadium. Like she wouldn't be able to talk about moving the fences back, the whole thing. So we just sort of decided it's okay. We can do that another time. And and we all know if you don't know how important Janet Marie Smith was in the creation of Camden Yards, I would do a quick Google search to get an understanding of why she is truly an icon within this sport. We come back in. Boye Mafe, one of the top edge rush, rush prospects in the NFL draft. Could he be a Baltimore Raven? We'll chat with him next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com help.org that first sip that first bite mm. start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at royal farms choose from a fantastic selection of fresh royal farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at royal farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world real fresh real fast royal farms Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy the award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings, or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for daily specials every weekday, like $7.99 burgers on Mondays, $6.99 nachos on Thursdays, and Taco Tuesdays. And watch all of your favorite games at Glory Days Grill, with 25 screens and private speakers at every table, plus game day drink specials. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. The newest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland men's basketball's 2002 NCAA Tournament Championship. As Gary Williams reflects on how the program rose from the ashes of NCAA sanctions to the pinnacle of the sport, and why his perspective of the title run has changed now two decades later. Plus, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, and the rest of the team relive the moments that ultimately led them to cutting down the nets in Atlanta. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on Spotify, 
Apple or Amazon podcast. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Use the code PRESSBOX, and when you make your first deposit up to $100 at Underdog Fantasy Football, we will match it with free money for you to play with, underdogfantasy.com, or download the Underdog app. Paul, uh, I noticed that Kansas City is having Bobby Witt Jr. starting at third base this season. Just curious. If Witt had been the Orioles' pick at number one, do you think he'd be at Norfolk right now based on the process? Thanks. Uh, no, I don't, um, Paul. I, I don't think that. I guess the only argument you can make is he's a few years younger than Adley Rutschman, and so there would be maybe some conversation about his age. But I think it's pretty clear that the questions that we had about whether or not they had gone far enough um, in the new CBA with incentivizing uh, whether or not top prospects should be on rosters, the answer is yes, it's overwhelming. As it ain't. It, by the way, this was the conversation that Stan and I had yesterday on One More Thing, which we now do every Wednesday around 3 o'clock. You can watch that at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. But look uh, around MLB. It's not just Bobby Witt. It's Bobby Witt. It's, it's Julio Rodriguez. It's Spencer Torkelson. It's C.J. Abrams and Reed Detmers and Hunter Green and Joey Bart. And they're all there. And it's pretty clear that a, you know Adley Rutschman would have been there as well Unfortunately, he just got hurt, and so he's not there. Now, I get it. Bobby Witt is a few years younger than Adley Rutschman, but again, the point is they're all there. It's clear that Major League Baseball teams have been incentivized to make sure the top prospects are on the opening day rosters, and to me, that's very encouraging. For the, the We had that whole conversation about Buster Olney yesterday and what he tweeted about you know, tanking still exists. Well, it wasn't going to change in three weeks. But this, to me, is an incredibly positive sign about the impact of the CBA. The fact that the top prospects are on the opening day rosters and we're not just screwing around and leaving the best players down to manipulate service time, it's a major thumbs up that we should all recognize as a win for Major League Baseball. It, we're just in a unique spot in Baltimore because Adley Rutschman got hurt, and so we don't get to see him, and so we don't get to enjoy and, and partake in this sort of celebration of top prospects being up. And The other thing that people aren't thinking about when they talk about how Adley Rutschman... Adley Rutschman would be here if he wasn't injured. But yes. pe- pe- people are talking about how Spencer Torkis. Spencer Torkelson's already in the major leagues. and Well, he and Adley are basically on the same timeline because he got drafted and then didn't have to miss an entire year of development because of a pandemic. So people that are saying, well, Torkelson's here, why would it, why isn't Adley here? It's not the well, same and, thing. And again, Adley's, Adley Rutschman will be on the major league roster. He's yeah. going to be a major league baseball player when he's – like he'll do – obviously because he lost some of his spring – He'll go get ready at Norfolk for a little bit, and then he's going to be a Major League Baseball Yeah, they're going to use that as a rehab assignment more than anything else. That's the way it'll work. NFL Draft, just a couple of weeks away, and a name that the Baltimore Ravens might very well end up calling, perhaps as early as the first round. And, and boy, the way he's trending, maybe with the 14th pick overall. This man really turned heads at the Senior Bowl and continues to prove to people just how dominant he is. He is Minnesota edge rusher Boye Mafe, and he's with us now here on Glenn Clark Radio. Boye, it's Glenn and Paul in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. It's great to chat with you. I I think your story is fascinating, boy. You know, we, of course, got to know uh, Adafi Owe here in Baltimore last year and see how important his Nigerian heritage is to him. Like, the the night we met him, he was like, hey, by the way, uh, my name's Adafi, and that's what I want you to call me moving forward. And this matters to me. And I was doing some background on you, and I, I learned about your story of 
going to Nigeria and spending a year there as a young man at boarding school. How important is that heritage to you? And you've seen, it, it almost feels like Nigerian players are sort of having a moment in the NFL in recent years. How cool is it to be a part of representing your heritage now as you make this jump? I mean, it means the world to me, honestly. For me, uh, you know, I've always wanted, you know, to embrace my culture and be able to, you know, show that Nigerian players are you know, able to play in the NFL and have a, you know, a stature and have a, a place in the NFL. And I mean, for me, growing up, see my compass, how I, you know, direct my life is through the culture and everything I was taught my parents, to my relatives, to everybody in the community. And it really shaped and molded me into who I am today. I mean, it, it's powerful. What is that? What did that year do for you going to boarding school? Did it, in, in your maturity and who you are as a man at such a young age to, to be spending time on the other side of the world, right? What did that do for you in molding you to this point? I think the biggest thing is that I matured a lot. You know, at a young age, I was 13 years old in another country by myself in yeah. boarding school. So, I mean, you have to grow up really fast to be able to, you know, withhold and be able to understand and keep up with everything you know you don't have your parents there to hold your hand and take care of you through everything and i really had to grow up really fast and mature and learn how to take care of things on my own and uh i mean i would do it again in a heartbeat it was a fun year i learned a lot about myself and i learned a lot from people there made some really good friends that i still stay in touch with today and i mean it's it's something that I, it's one of those experiences that not a lot of people can say they've done and I, i'm grateful that my family was able to have my dad was able to do that for me that's really cool that's really cool. Boy, Amafe with us here on GCR. Hey, we, we saw Adafe had all the guys over, a bunch of his teammates over for like a Nigerian feast recently. What what was, when, when you were there, what was the food you most craved that like no one has quite been able to replicate since you've been back in the States? When I got back to the States? Yeah. I mean, I've had it all. My mom used to cook for me. My aunt cooks for me, and uh, honestly, I mean, I've actually opened my teammates up to that team myself. You know, that's cool. When they, since I since I was a local kid, my you know, family cook, and I'd bring you back to campus with me and share with my teammates. So I understand what he's doing there. All right, so, so tell me the one. Tell me like the 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 great the best single best Nigerian dish, like the one that if I wanted to introduce myself to Nigerian food, I should try to find this. Oh, this would be that would be jello rice. You, that would be the first thing I'd try, and then you could just go anywhere from there, honestly. What what makes it, like, when it just sounds like rice, right? Like, what, what makes it so different? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the way they prepare it, you know. Okay. You know, you don't cook white rice in, you know, pot of water and maybe throw a little salt butter, whatever you want to do in there, but this is cooked in, like, a stew, and it makes the rice soak in it, and it basically, oh. Oh. the rice stays, it has flavor, you can make it spicy, you can just make it sweet, you can make it however you really want to make it. I personally like it spicy, but it, it's just something about the flavor, and it, it's rice that doesn't really need too many additives. Like, wow! You know, some people have rice that had like you know peas and uh, corn and whatever you want to add to, but it really just needs the rice. You just go get like a bowl of rice and you just sit there and be happy. Exactly. I, it sounds pretty good to me, bro. <laughs> Sign me up for that. All right, uh, Aboye Mafe, you the football player, right? There, there are people that say, okay, but like you know, he only had seven sacks last year, and. You know, I, I like him. He's got some moves, but we just don't see the production that matches it. Tell me what those people are missing and what it is that you bring to the table as a football player. I mean, for the biggest thing is, like, yeah, you know, people talk about the production from last year, but I honestly feel as if I'm yet to play my best football. Uh, you know, I feel as if I still am tapping into, you know, the next level of what I could be as a player. And uh, honestly, uh, you know, for 
fan or somebody who likes my game now, I feel as if it's just only going to get better from here moving forward. Was it a scenario where, because people are aware of you, you were taking on, you know, like a lot of people's best shots, that they were chipping you, they were they were gifting it, getting after you in every way they possibly can? I mean, because we saw when you got to the Senior Bowl, you were dominating. I mean, just overwhelming the best players in the country that were lined up trying to block you. Were you getting that type of attention over the last couple of years at Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, you know, teams have various ways to, you know, to, you know, to limit my, you know, path rush. You have the guard chip, so inside moves. You have tight ends coming off, the, chipping off the edge, or having running back flared with a chip. So, you know, it makes it a little bit difficult to always have those high production games. And, you know, Senior Bowl was more one-on-one situations where yep. I was able to, you know, play uh, play into that and use that to my advantage. Yeah, and the NFL too. Most teams have like two or three capable, uh, pretty really damn good edge rushers on the field at one time. It's hard to identify one in particular that you want to go after. He's Boye Mafe. He's with us here on GCR. Boy, the other thing that jumped out at me in watching your film is you're not a one-trick pony. Um, you are really strong in the run game. How confident are you in your skills to be a three-down player in the NFL? And where did that come from that you became such a versatile defender? Honestly, I came from uh, my teammates, my coaches. Uh, you know, they always pushed me and always taught to me. I mean, I learned from older guys. Guys that are in the NFL right now, Carter Coughlin. Uh, Kamal Martin, Antoine Winfield, you know, just to name a few, Blake Cashman, just to name a few of them. But honestly, I really just took what they taught me and what my coaches were taught me, and uh, I really just ran with it and used that to my, you know, used that to my advantage and used the things that they were all teach me throughout my years there and throughout my time there and became that type of player. What what makes you so unique, Boye? Like, you know, when how do you separate yourself from the other edge rushers that are in this draft? Uh, for me, I mean, the big, you know, one thing is I have speed, power. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fast guys in this draft class, a lot of great players in this draft class. You know, I've met some of these guys, you know, through the senior bowl, through the combine, and they're all great people and great players, honestly. I mean, I'm a fan of all their games, and hopefully, you know, the fans of mine, too. And uh, for me, I think the thing that makes me, separates me is just, uh, you know, the way the way I play, you know, my energy and my, you know, pursuit and how I just play the game is a little bit different. Hey, boy, you mentioned one of your teammates. You mentioned your teammates, and one of the guys that you were at Minnesota with is here in Baltimore. He was on the other side of the ball, so I don't know if you guys had like a particularly close relationship. I know he was juiced up for you. He was gassing you up on social media. Did you get to know Rashad uh, Bateman particularly well? Is somebody that you maybe stayed in touch with at all? Yeah, I mean, I was actually texting him last week, so... I mean, we've stayed in contact throughout our time. I mean, we've got to know each other really well in Minnesota. You know, that's a friend of mine, and you know, he, especially in Minnesota, we're a really tight knit group as a team, and we, you know, we cared about everyone there. There wasn't really, you know, egos essentially. It was just more of just like we're all in it together. So, you know, yeah, I'm really close with Bashad. He's a cool guy. You know, that's, that's a friend of mine that. <laughs> That's, That's something I know very well. It'd be kind of neat if things were to work out that way, that maybe you guys got to end up hanging out. I get it. I know you're excited wherever it's going to be, but it would be kind of neat if it worked out that way, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> Reconnecting old teammates. Right, right. That wouldn't suck. <laughs> like, exactly. that, would, that would be a cool person to have around. Yeah, tell me about, about him because, you know, uh, he was banged up a little bit last year, but we saw, I mean, we are – I'm telling you, man, I've I've rarely been as excited about a wide receiver the Ravens have ever drafted in their history because you could even in a, in a in small samples a year ago see just how many things he's capable of doing. 
what should, you know, being around him as much as you did, seeing him game to game, week to week, how excited do you feel like Ravens fans should be about what Rashad Bateman is becoming as a football player? I mean, I've you know, going to school with him for three years and you know, seeing him or how he works and how he goes about his business. You know, he really does love the game of football and he really just works. Like I remember seeing times when he just comes in from class and he'll be catching balls off the balcony from uh, with one of our coaches. And it's just the thing that he did was like he really wanted to learn and really wanted to get better in any way, shape, or form. So. I mean, if someone's really work like that, you know, I'd be excited to see him play. And I've seen him do some things in college and game day that you know, are very special. You know, catch the ball with one hand, pulling it in, 50-50 balls, just, you know, pulling them in through. Well, even though DBs have hands in his face or whatever, and he's still finding ways to catch the ball. No doubt. He's a talent, man. Like, he is he is a special player, and we can't wait to see more of him moving forward and maybe it maybe kind of a reunion which would be cool but boy with that would be cool with that in mind right um and again and i I know this we're in baltimore so we're asking you about this you do an interview today in seattle you're going to talk about that we understand right like we know how this game works you want to you just want to play in the nfl we completely get it but but does the we talk a lot about the legacy of, of of baltimore ravens defense and ed reed and ray lewis and terrell suggs does that still register to this day with with folks your age that that you know, we're we're very young when Ray Lewis was as dominant as he was, and when Ed Reed was as dominant as he was. Does the legacy of the Baltimore Ravens defense and like the idea of being a part of that does that still matter to someone like you? Yeah, I mean that's that's a legacy that they left behind, and that you know, being with, if I was with the organization, I would want to continue that legacy and you know, finding a way to you know help out and do my part and create creating and maintaining that legacy. I mean, the way they play the game and the way they. You know, watching, if you've seen interviews of them even now that they retired, how they talk about how passionate they were about the game and how, you know, hard they worked to get what they wanted and how they, you know, the way they went about their business was really, you know, impressive. So, I've, you know, that's the standard and that's how they set that Baltimore defense standard and that's something you, as a team and as a player you want to uphold. That's cool. That's cool that it still, it still registers with guys like that because, you know, we are, we're, I mean, we're a decade removed from uh, Ray Lewis even being on the field at this point. So it's really cool to hear that. All right, what's one thing, uh, you know, obviously we know your heritage, we know you as a football player, but give me one other thing that we should know about Boye Mafe, the person, should you end up becoming a Baltimore Raven? What's what's something else? Like what, what might you get into on a Friday night outside of football season? Give me one more thing we should know about you. I'm a big foodie, so uh, okay. you know, coming to Baltimore, I'd love to try a new restaurant. Hey. You know, any, anywhere good. <laughs> you, are, you, are you a seafood guy, boy? Are you, are you into Ooh, seafood? Love seafood. This, this, love seafood. This maybe is written in the stars, my friend. that's the way to my heart right there gonna have to call eric da costa and let him know man you you will be the easiest guy for folks around here to fall in love with that's cool or do do, do you cook at all or is it just enjoying what everybody else makes no i love to i love to cook that's cool cooking anytime i like to you know right now i've been really big in youtube and the cooking channels and trying new recipes and Really, you know, when I see something that looks really good on YouTube, I try to replicate or make it myself. So. If you had, yeah. like, if you had an interview today for Master Chef, what would be the meal that you would make to try to get yourself on the show? Ooh, ooh, hmm. I don't know. I, that's a, that's a, that's a tough. All thing. right, all right. Is, is there's nothing that like you say? I'm really. Pr- I know I can. I can. I could hit a home run when I make this dish. Oh, I mean, you know. I love like cooking steaks and like a way I like to cook my steaks, but 
I would have to, you know, figure out what I'd add on to it, like asparagus and some, okay. make some homemade yeah, mashed right. potatoes or something. All right. Yeah. Maybe throw like some scallops on top of the steak, something like that, exactly. mix in a seafood. A turf That's quick. what I'm talking about. That's yeah. you and I are on the same <laughs> level. All right, Boy Mafe, uh, where can people be giving you a follow? Twitter, Instagram, anywhere like that as you continue this journey? Uh, I mean, both Instagram and Twitter, you know, B-O-Y-A-A underscore on Instagram. And then Boye underscore Mafe on uh, Twitter. Give him a follow there. Boye Mafe, man. How cool would it be? If you're into Baltimore, I'm telling you, seafood is on us. As soon as you get to town, <laughs> we will make sure we take you out and get you hooked up. Wherever it ends up That's being, perfect. we you're such a good dude. We're going to root for you. Just please understand, if it ends up being Pittsburgh, we know you're going to be excited. <laughs> Don't be offended by what we say about you on social media. We promise it's not personal, <laughs> all right? <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks Th- for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time, man. Boye Mafe checking in with us, one of the top edge rush prospects in the NFL draft. Uh, great dude, by the way. Tremendous conversation. Really enjoyed that a great deal. And uh, look forward to seeing uh, how it plays out for him. Um, a guy that has really risen, was talked about as like a second, third round guy. But after the Senior Bowl, there was this common belief that he was moving towards, you know, the top of the second round and into the first round maybe. And, you know, as we said before, if if, if your guy's your guy, go get him. Get get your guy that's what i would say go get your guy whatever it takes if you think you can do that and also acquire some assets in the process tremendous love that love the idea that maybe boy mafia is your guy and you can get him at 23 and and acquire a pick or something along that would be tremendous that would just be swell but whatever you do, get your guy, if that's your guy. And, and Boy Mafe is a very talented. I mean, he is a hell of a player. And know the risks and have a plan before you start gambling for free and confidential ad- advice and services. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. We are into hour number two of the program. Larry Lucchino is going to join us in a bit. We had to do this a little bit earlier on because of his schedule, and we didn't get a chance to do this, actually. Uh, it just didn't work out timing-wise while he was here at Maryland. So this is our first opportunity to catch up with him as he spent a good portion of this season as the interim head coach at Maryland. He is Danny Manning right now here on GCR. Well, joining us now here on Glenn Clark Radio, a man who I imagine is uh, still riding high after his Kansas Jayhawks won the national championship on Monday. I know he was down in New Orleans. And a man that uh, we got to know for a little bit this season and in unique circumstances as he ended up being the interim head coach at the University of Maryland and uh, helped guide the ship uh, for what was obviously a very difficult season for everybody. It's a pleasure to welcome, to the f- for the first time to Glenn Clark Radio, Coach Danny Manning, who's with us now here on GCR. Coach, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us. Well, thanks a lot for having me, and uh, yeah, very happy with the outcome of the Final Four. Yeah. It was a good night, good, good night for the Jayhawks. You know, it's really funny you say that. Cut. It jumped out at me, and I'll present this to you. Uh, we had Gravis Vasquez on the show on Monday morning because he was down there working the broadcast yep, for, sure for Westwood we, One. We had an event together. That, you know what? He mentioned that. He mentioned, yep. and, and he mentioned that he had the opportunity to tell you how grateful he was, and I thought that was a really yep. neat moment. 
Um, but but Gravis was talking about that something that he thought was maybe missing, and and he put it on himself. He said, "Look, I I got to do more." Is is I need to create more of a family atmosphere um, with Maryland basketball and former players. And looking at you guys there on Monday night and seeing all of you that were so invested and how much it meant. Can, can you tell me what that does for a program to have such a connection with the alums, guys that want to be a part of the program even though they have no official title, and how important that is for any major college basketball program. Well, you know, I can speak on the Kansas piece. That's part of our culture. Um, it doesn't matter who you play for coaching-wise. It doesn't matter if we were teammates. Um, if we all wore the uniform, there's always love. There's always a great embrace. Um, and There's always an immense amount of pride in the program. And that's just kind of how it's been. Um Every time that you, you know, we tell, we, we talk about it all the time, you come to the tradition and you leave a part of it. And we're all fortunate and blessed to be a part of it, but it's something that we take a great deal of pride in and we definitely try to support as much as we can when we can. Uh, it, it was clear. It was abundant. It was really remarkable to watch um, how powerful it was for, for your group of guys. And I imagine uh, it never gets old, right? Like you guys have been through this a time or two. You you won one of these things yourself, right? I imagine it never gets old uh, watching uh, your school get to have a moment like that, especially such a thrilling comeback in game as that was. Yeah, you know, it was a very you know fun game. Obviously, you say that when your team wins. But, you know, for us, you know, we have reunions every five years, the basketball reunions, and if you come back, you try to get back for it. And it's always a wonderful time because you get a chance to to spend time with guys that played before you, guys that came after you. And, and the common thread is we all play for Kansas. And wow. so it, there's always a great deal of uh, interest in, in what each individual is doing individually but but also collectively you know from wherever we're at you know we, we always have a uh, huge badge of honor knowing that we all wore the uniform and um we understand what our the culture has created here at kansas danny manning is with us here on glenn clark radio coach um i had fats on last week and i was really blown away because he was so overwhelmingly positive about his time at the university of maryland and the impact it had on his life and i was like wow it it's hard to fathom that given everything that you've been through right um if i just asked you generically to describe what the year was like for you and your experience at the university of maryland how could you best describe it very grateful for the opportunity. Um, and, and I say that because I get a chance to work with some quality young people day in and day out. I'm doing something that I love to do and being able to share some of the experiences or the experiences I had to help them on their journey. And, you know, whenever you get a chance to have an impact, you get a chance to lead. It's a privilege, and and um, you know for me, the privilege came um, in an unexpected form or fashion, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yet, you know, nonetheless, it's still the same impact of wanting to make sure that these young men felt supported, they felt loved, and they felt 
Um, we were going to go into every game knowing that we put forth a great deal of fight. We'll give ourselves a chance to be successful. And so, you know, for me, that was that was my motivation was to go out and do the best I could and make sure that we, we played hard, we played together, we played unselfishly, and we did whatever we could to try to be successful on the court and also off the court. And, um, you know, so that was, you know, the game plan from, from, from my eyes. Danny, you obviously, these were difficult circumstances, right? This was not what you, mm-hmm. this wasn't what you signed up for, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. when you, when you settled into the role as coach, did you find yourself saying, I'd like to stay? Were you at all disappointed that, that Maryland went a different route? Um, you know, how did that play out for you as, as you became, you know, you were the, clearly for a while the head coach at Maryland. I'm a competitor. I want to, I want to be successful in any endeavor that I um, partake in, but I also understand the business. Um, you know, I've been in it for quite some time now. My father was in it. And so it's, it's unpredictable and you, you can't control it. A lot of times what you can control is where your two feet are at at that moment and where your heart is at that moment. And that's all I tried to, uh, that's what I worried about. You know, what I'd like to have, you know, continued on being the head coach at Maryland. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And maybe I would have had an opportunity had we won more games if you, you know, when you talk about it like that. But at the end of the day, it was still a, an experience. I'm grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for the relationships and response and relationships and the opportunities to make new friends and, and build upon relationships during my time there. And, uh, you know, when I look back on it, it will be fond memories, for sure. What did you learn about just the program itself, the area, you know, I think one of the things that that people are, there are a lot of people that believe that Maryland is an exceptional, maybe top 15, top 20 type of job in college basketball, but, you know, the, the results haven't necessarily, you know, borne that out for a while now. I mean, it's been 20 years since they've been in the Final Four, even. Um, what did you learn about Maryland itself? And when you describe the place to someone, what do you tell them about Maryland basketball? Well, I think Maryland basketball, there's a great tradition. There's a lot of history. Um, but I also think that Maryland basketball fell behind in terms of moving on with the time, hmm. you know, just from the standpoint of facilities yep, um, and things of that nature, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, you don't, yeah, you don't have a practice facility. Right. Correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so, Hopefully I mean, that's going to change shortly, but you're right. It will change. It will change, but I'm just saying like, you know, you know, the top programs in the country have a practice facility. 1000%. had one for a while. Right. And so I, I think I think the potential is definitely there um, with the history and tradition of the program. But I think facilities got to catch up and, and put them back in the ball game. Did you did, did you have a conversation with Kevin Willard at all? Would you be interested in have a conversation with them to, to tell him anything about the job? What? You know what? What's that? I, I cannot. Again, it comes off awkward to me when I think about it. But but you know, you guys are all in this business together. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think uh, Kevin knows what he's getting into. I, I've got no problem 
you know, we bump into each other out on the road or we bump into some, somewhere and sit down and chop it up and visit. I, oh, oh that, that's, if that happens, that happens. I, yeah. That's, that's okay with me, you know, but you know, he's also got to, uh, he's got to create his own journey, his own path and how he wants to do things. And, and move forward from there. So, you know, I've taken over the jobs where I've had a chance to uh, speak with the coach that was there before me, and I've taken over jobs where I haven't had those conversations. And, you know, at the end of the day, you still have to do what you feel is best for the program under your leadership. He is Danny Manning. He's with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Danny, I I wanted to ask you about a couple of the young men that you worked with, and and in particular – um, in Baltimore, we, we're very selfish here, and we love Baltimore. When Baltimore kids get to have success at Maryland, it means more to us. It's just the way that it is. And what we saw from Juju last season, um, it, it really felt like there was something there and the potential for him to become a true star in the coming years. What did you learn about Juju? And, you know, I, I guess we still have to wait for him to officially declare, but we see him still working out at Maryland and, and acting like he's part of the program moving forward. How special do you believe that young man is capable of being? I think Julian is scratching the potential of what he's going to be as a basketball player. And I say that for a lot of different reasons. And the first thing I'll say is, you know, a lot of times when you're a big guy in high school, you don't consistently get to play up against guys of your size night in and night out. And you spend the majority of your time as a true big in high school avoiding contact because anytime somebody runs into the pain and bumps or hits you as the bigger guy, most high school officials call a foul on you. Hmm. So having said that, Mm -hmm. you're not used to consistently banging and leaning on bodies similar size. So when Julian got to college, that was just one of the things he goes through. And that's not a knock on him. That's every, I went through that. Every big guy goes through that just because you don't see that type of size on a consistent basis. That's a great point. Day in and day out from practice to game, from practice to game. And so, you know, you get used to um, banging bodies and the non-conference banging you know, you're going to play some power five schools and it'll be similar to what you, you face in the big 10, but it's not the big 10 until you get there. Right. Yep. And so Julian gets to the big 10 and he has to play up against a big fella from Penn state, John, he has to go up, up against the two headed beast in Purdue. I, you know, he's got to go up against a long bigs of Wisconsin. And so yeah, Hunter every, Dickinson, every, right. Every, yeah. every night out, you know, Julian came out, he competed at a high level. And, and I think as he continues to grow and develop and have a better understanding of what he needs to do to be successful, he's going to be off the charts. His basketball IQ, his understanding of the game right now is really high and very good. You know, the things that Julian sees uh, and saw when I was with him as a, as a player was really impressive to me because he was light years ahead in his thinking and understanding and seeing the game um, in terms of what he was trying to accomplish out there on the court. I mentioned Fats a second ago, and and it was so much – he brought so much joy. It was such a joyous thing to watch him play basketball this year. He, Of course, everybody points out his size and – you know, it, it's hard for someone that size to make it at the next level. You, of course, you know, had an unbelievable career in the NBA, Danny. 
knowing the heart he has, do you think he's capable of of proving people wrong and finding a way to break through and and play in the NBA despite the fact that everyone's going to look at him and say, dude, there's just no way. Guys your size don't play in this league any longer. Well, you know what? I really enjoy coaching Fats. Um, thought we had a really good bond. His understanding of the game, um, how he continued to evolve and, and grow was, was really fun to be around, fun to see and impressive to me. Um, a lot of it for Fats is going to come down to what team he's trying out for. Mm-hmm. What's their system? Um, how do they use their guards? And so I think that a lot of that is going to come into play for him too. Um, but he's going to go out there and compete. It doesn't matter what level is that. I'll say this though, that's going to make a lot of money playing basketball no for doubt. a long time. No doubt about for it. For a long time. And, you know, so many times people put the benchmark of the NBA as it. But you know what? That's not, that's not the case. You know, that's not the case. There are, there are a lot of different water makers out there besides Evian. Making a lot of money, right? So, you know, a lot of it just is going to depend on what works best for you. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I was fortunate and blessed enough to play in the NBA 15 years. Yep. And, you know, you talk about, okay, how'd your teams do? You know, what type of individual accolades did you get? And the next question is going to be, are you going to be able to sustain your lifestyle that you created as a player? Hmm. And that comes that back down to, how you took care of your finances and how much money you made while you're playing. Mm. So at the end of the day, when you get done being a professional athlete, it's going to be, you know, you trade your health for wealth when you start playing professional sports. And when you're done playing professional sports, you hope your wealth can take care of your health. Hmm. And, Hmm. you know, I think he's going to make, a lot of money playing professional basketball, and I hope it's in the NBA. But if it's not, that's okay because you know you can still have a great life and a wonderful lifestyle. You know, playing in different leagues, especially when we talk about the money that's being paid the players to go overseas. There was there was a kid from Baltimore a few years ago named Kenny Hasbrook, and he ended up getting a cup of coffee with the Miami Heat. And he called me one day. A video called me, and he was sitting on the beach in Ibiza, and he looked around and he said. Yeah, bro, how do you think my life's going? And I was like, yeah, I think you're doing all right, my man. <laughs> I think yes, you're all right. Yes, yes. Hey. you know, and, and here's the deal, too. And I, I share this with a lot of the younger players that I coached at Kansas and players that, you know, came after me at Kansas. I was like, wanting to play in the NBA is wonderful. I said, but you can't beat guaranteed money. You know, you don't turn down guaranteed no doubt. money overseas. No doubt to go somewhere on a tryout basis to try to make a team. You don't do that. You know, you, you, you don't. You're from the standpoint of a business decision, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one to make. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a contract, and if you make it good, or I'm going to give you another contract that is guaranteed. I, I'm taking the guaranteed money. 
I mean, I don't blame you at all. Not even a little bit. I, I think it would almost be crazy not to. Uh, it, Danny, if I could, I, I know I'm going to have to let you go here because you're doing more of these today, but I, there, you, every year, it's been a while, you know, we're still looking at technically the last Big Ten team to win a national championship was Maryland but when they were in the ACC in 2002. Um, and with another kind of disappointment, there are a lot of critics that say the style of play in the Big Ten that's not going to work. You can't win national championships that way. After spending a year in the conference, what do you make of the criticisms of the style of play? Is there any legitimacy to the idea that if, if you want to make deep runs, if you want to win national championships at places like Maryland, y- you might have to buck the trend of just trying to compete playing Big Ten styles of basketball? Well, I, I, I just think that's hogwash. You know, just to be honest with you, that's the adjective I'll use. You know, the Big Ten is, is, you know, to me was probably the toughest league that I've ever had to coach in, to be honest with you, across the board, top to bottom. Just because the styles of play, I mean, you know, they're they're similar to a certain extent, but everybody has a unique spin on it. Um, you, you know, the basketball, the pure basketball um, was, was really impressive to me. Um, the different coaching styles, challenging. And then, uh, of course, you have great players and, um, you know, really fun venues to to go into and, and play. So, you know, for me, the Big Ten, I got a chance to check off a bunch of bucket list venues that I'd never had a chance to go into, but I, I've, I've watched on TV many, many, many times um, being a part of the Big Ten this last year. So I do think teams from the Big Ten can be successful in the NCAA tournament and, and go on long runs, but it's hard, and people don't understand that. It, it is very hard. It's very challenging, and a lot of things have to work out in your favor for that to happen. And a lot of times the casual fan doesn't get that. Can I can I ask what's next for you? Can I ask what you know if there's something I can plug for you? What what the plan is now moving forward for Danny Manning? Uh, but, you know, I don't know right now. You know, I've uh, just taken a deep breath, kind of decompressing a little bit. I've uh, had some different conversations with a few different people at the collegiate level and the professional level, and uh, then also um, in the media, TV broadcasting. So you know, just just taking a deep breath right now and trying to figure out, you know, which direction I, I want to go or would like to try to go into. Well, Danny, I hope you felt, because I heard from a lot of folks who were, and I know Gravis mentioned it, there was a lot of appreciation for the way that you handled yourself and what you did for this program in what was a difficult time. And I hope that you were able to feel some of that from this fan base and the appreciation, because I'm telling you, I heard it from a lot of people. Um, we, we wish you well, whatever it is that's next for you. Thank you for taking a few minutes for us this morning, and best of luck to you in all of your ventures moving forward. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. That's Danny Manning, the uh, former interim basketball coach at the University of Maryland. A um, lot of pushback on the idea the Big Ten can't win an NCAA tournament. Yeah, obviously, we know it's it's been a struggle. Um, you know, We're a few years removed even from Michigan being in a championship game and having a chance. Um, we'll see. We'll see moving forward what that looks like. I, I do think the style is not I, – I think that there is something to the conversation. His point about Maryland basketball kind of falling behind the times, don't know that I disagree with that either. Obviously, they get the facility taken care of, and that's 
far less of a problem. It's far less of a concern moving forward. But, you know, he's not wrong. He's, he's not wrong that they have fallen behind in being a power conference team that hasn't had a basketball-specific practice facility. That ain't wrong. And it's part of the bigger problem that I've discussed with Maryland base basketball and why certain candidates were not going to be coming here. And as he said, look, he's disappointed, but he understands the business. He says, if I had won some more games, maybe I would be the full-time coach at the University of Maryland. Good stuff with Danny Manning. Appreciate him taking the time. And speaking of Maryland basketball, if you pick up this month's print issue of Press Box, you see we celebrate the 20th anniversary of their 2002 national title with Gary Williams on the cover. Get it for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Press Box, or read it all, pressboxonline.com. Speaking of anniversaries, we are celebrating today, one day late, the 30th anniversary of the first ever game at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Rick Sutcliffe joined us a little bit earlier on, joining us now. The man whose vision really was quite responsible for the fact that we have an Oriole Park at Camden Yards. He was team president of the Baltimore Orioles, of course, has also served in uh, roles with the Padres and the Red Sox over the years. It's always a pleasure to welcome back to the program. Mr. Larry Lacchino, who's with us now here on GCR. Larry, it's Glenn and Paul in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking some time for us. Hey, Glenn. It's a happy occasion. We need to celebrate the 30th anniversary. It's hard to believe that it's been 30 years, but uh, it has been. It's been longer if you count the time that it was only existed in my imagination. <laughs> when you were trying to figure out, we, we want to make sure we don't, uh, we don't do one-size-fits-all. Larry, do you remember the first moment? that you had the idea of doing something different in building a ballpark. Do you remember there being a day or a... In the early... Uh, I can remember the context. Uh, I was uh, Edward Bennett Williams' uh, law partner and went in to see him talking about the Orioles and suggested that we uh, build a baseball-only facility. The football team had just departed every year and it seemed crazy to me to make the costs, uh, to incur the costs and make the sacrifices in design that are required to have a football and a baseball facility in one. And uh, therefore, we should try to do it um, in one. And I remember the look on William's face <laughs> as though I had said something. As, uh, he said, wait, you don't want to build one facility? You want to talk about building two? Are you out of your mind? He said, uh, I'll tell you what, why don't you go and talk to uh, uh somewhere in the media about it and uh whatever you do keep my name out of it <laughs> i don't want to be i don't want to be a part of this story when everybody makes fun of it i don't want to be associated with it well, as it yeah, turns yeah. out yeah it turns out but as it turned out the uh, sports writers and the uh, uh down there who were part of the decision making apparatus thought it was a good idea i know there was a big piece in the baltimore sun uh, recently yep it didn't give adequate recognition, in my view, to uh, Mayor uh, William Donald Schaefer, who became then Governor William Donald Schaefer, whose vision and tenacity uh, made the ballpark work. Well, and and completely changed our city, too. We owe a lot of debts to, uh, to Governor and Mayor Schaefer. There's no question about that. Um, Larry, in, in making it real, right, what, what was the most necessary? Maybe it was uh, Mr. Schaefer, but... What were the most necessary steps in changing this from just a concept, a crazy idea, into you know the ballpark that we now say changed the game of baseball? Well, I think the uh, that's an easy one. 
Jenna Marie Smith was mm-hmm. a uh, woman just looking for a job. She wrote me an over-the-transom letter applying for a job with the Orioles. Um, she was uh, about to be rejected when I said to Callan Hill, who was then our director or vice president of, of human resources, that uh, I was drowning in the Scamden Yard stuff. Interestingly, around the country, the place is known as Scamden Yards. In Baltimore, it's known as Oriole Park. It's a, it's a kind of a split in identity. But in any event, uh, when we hired Janet, uh, she gave life to so many concepts, the steel frame building, the um, um, oh, just the little design touches in, in places, uh, the uh, uh, 1890s uh, Oriole logo at the end of the, each row. Uh, she gave life to the concept. Well, she's a genius, as we know. I mean, my word, the the, the many yeah. things that she has done, not just here, but throughout the game of baseball, uh, a, a true icon in the sport. And for those that don't know, when um, when Larry mentions Calvin Hill, yeah, that's 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 Grant Hill's father. That is that Calvin Hill who um, uh, had that role uh, here yeah. in Baltimore, in, in his native city of Baltimore. A uh, wonderful, wonderful guy from Dundalk. And uh, uh, it's good to see Grant. Uh, succeeding so well too yeah he turned out okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah, turned out all right for him uh we're, we're chatting with larry lucchino as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of the ballpark larry when did you know the impact the stadium was going to have right was there a call that you got from someone was there when did you realize like this this isn't going to be the only one of these that exists we have rewritten the concept well, it it took a year or two we just wanted to build a nice little ballpark for uh, for Baltimore. That was our plan. In fact, Sports Illustrated, when the ballpark opened, uh, the story on the ballpark was called a nice little ballpark, and it contrasted it with uh, Sky Dome, which was built uh, at about the same time, but which was uh, much much greater ambitions in the eighth wonder of the world with a hotel and everything else. We just want a nice little ballpark, so. The first thing we were pleased about was it was in Baltimore, the headline in Baltimore Sun said, it's a hit, it's a hit, mm-hmm. and uh, the, uh, the game that cycled us through. Um, I would say that uh, uh, it took a year or two before uh, its local popularity uh, became obscured by its national popularity. Oh, I mean, as it turns out, obviously, it became extraordinarily popular around the country yeah. as everyone attempted to make their own Camden Yards in the coming well, 20 years. Well, it is, uh, if, if uh, imitation is the severest form of flattery, as they say, <laughs> then uh, we had several uh, serious uh, I- imitators come after us, and um, and we were, uh, were lucky. I remember when um, the president of the Texas Rangers. So, what was his name? His name was, um, oh, well, whatever it was, I've forgotten now. But it's okay. it's, uh, he uh, he came up this watching the build Camden Yards, and he wanted to build a, a new ball for for them. He did build uh, for the next year. He uh, when he opened it, everyone, I see. Uh, Tom Schaefer, Schaefer was his name. I see, Tom, you've exhausted all the uh, tracing paper in the state of Texas. 
<laughs> and it was then that I knew that people were going to copy it and uh, try to that's uh, a, replicate it around the country. That's a pretty good line, Larry. That's a pretty yeah. good <laughs> line with the tracing paper. Larry, um, why has it stood the test of time? Why, why is it that Camden Yards, with, with all of these new ballparks, you mentioned Texas, they've already built another ballpark right. since that time. Why has Camden Yards been able to stand the test of time and is still uh, revered the way that it is, you know, despite all of the Orioles struggles, that people still come to see this ballpark? Yeah. Well, I think it uh, coincides with the view people have in their mind of what a ballpark should be. It has got some personality, some eccentricity, some asymmetries, and it's not just another uh, concrete donut the way that had been uh, the uh, ballparks and stadia right before uh, ours had had uh, nauseatingly been. And uh, I think we had. I mean, in Baltimore represents baseball, so it's it, it, it's in a great place. The warehouse, the outfield, the ballpark, the first ballpark built with irregularities, uh, uh, really in the uh, in 1992. And uh, I just think that uh, there's so many creature comforts that were built into it, and so many uh, uh, baseball conceptions that were embodied in it that uh, it will always uh, remain an attractive uh, place. The fact that 30 years later, uh, they're finally getting around to uh, uh, extending the lease mm-hmm. and making some uh, changes in the ballpark is for further indication. You gave a prime example of Texas. They were built the year there and at the same time to uh, um, extend it. They simply said, let's Big brave enough to say that in Baltimore, uh, Larry. You know, you speak of, of some of the changes, and we use the word irregularity. Obviously, that there's a big change that's come to the ballpark this season, and that's that's moving the left field wall back and and raising the left field wall as well. When you saw the Orioles were doing that, did was there at all a party that said, "Well, you know, why why ruin something that's so good?" Or did you did you have maybe an understanding of, "Hey, the game's changed a little bit." You know, it was a very difficult place for pitchers to pitch. Well, uh, I was not offended by it. Uh, to uh, react to 30 years of usage and to adjust it seemed to me appropriate. Uh, I can't say that for all of the uh, founders who uh, had, had a view of what it was. Um, but the uh, what, what, I, what I don't like change we fought a big fight with the stadium authority to get a wall that could be traversed so that if someone an outsider was going up he could catch a home run and mm-hmm. pull it back and, and, and allow for one of the more exciting plays in baseball to mm-hmm. occur uh, they're going from I think an 8 foot wall to a 12 foot wall or something like that which just Catch, and that is uh, unfortunate. I don't mind adjusting to the uh, to the home run uh, dynamic of the game these days. And and, and uh, the left field wall was uh, was well, uh, left, left center alley was in the three sixty four, 
and that, that is a little short. And uh, so, so changing that did, did, didn't trouble me a bit. But the, the height of the wall did bother me. That's a really good point, right? And we saw plenty of Mike Devereaux and and Brady Anderson. Oh boy, yeah, it was Mike Devereaux. Larry, he was my absolute favorite as a child. He was my ab- singular favorite baseball player because isn't that great? Well, he was. He gave us some very exciting moments. There's no question about it, hey, Larry. Before I let you go, you know we're we're here in Baltimore, and and uh, my. Uh, my buddy Stan the Fan Charles said to me yesterday, he said, hey, I need you to run one by Larry because I hear you're having Rick Sutcliffe on the show too. And Larry told me at the end of the season, he, he signed this playoff ticket for me and said, I should have listened to your idea or more of your ideas, uh, like signing Rick Sutcliffe. Does Stan the Fan get credit for the reason why you guys signed Rick Sutcliffe to be the opening day pitcher? Sure, let's give it to him. <laughs> I think Roland Heaven deserves a good bit of the credit. And... Uh, and yours truly, maybe a little too, and we did an negotiation. But Rick Sutcliffe was someone that Sam did recommend, and uh, or um, and history, uh, and is also part of baseball history. He's a terrific guy, as well as an outstanding baseball pitcher. So he's a he's a a great piece of uh, or you know iconography. No question about it. No question. Larry Lucchino, it, it's so great to catch up with you, sir. Um, Thank you, Andy. Really appreciate you taking the time and, and helping us celebrate the 30 years of uh, just the most incredible ballpark that's done so much for our city. Baltimore should celebrate. We appreciate Something that uh, was not became a national uh, symbol and, and a replicated national symbol. And uh, Baltimore deserves, and William Donald Schaefer and, and the Pauls deserve a lot of credit for making it happen, helping make it happen. Larry Lucchino, thank you so much for taking the time for us this morning. Continued uh, the health and, and, and good fortune to you and your family, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eddie. Former Orioles president Larry Lucchino. Uh, apologize, I know there were some, uh, some phone issues in there. We, we did our best to make it work, but um, I, I didn't want to – I mean, I I didn't want to miss anything he was saying. Unfortunately, in the, in the concept of doing that, I, we were missing things that he was saying, and I apologize for that. But I hope that what he did say and what you were able to hear uh, was powerful enough that it made it a meaningful conversation. Appreciate Larry Lucchino taking a few minutes. And his, and his point is well taken, right? Don't, I don't mind that they moved the, uh, the wall back at all, right? Like, you know, the game's changed, home runs, the whole thing. But it is a fair point. The home run robbery is one of the most exciting plays in all of baseball. And while in left field you argue now it's become more of a place where you're just sticking a positionless player out and saying, you know, go get him, do your best, and those guys are less likely to make super amazing, you know, leaping catches at the wall, you still like to have it as an option. You'd still like to have it as a possibility because it is one of the more spectacular plays in all of baseball. You can still do it at... Elrod's corner is what fans are starting to call it now. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. You can st- yeah, it's specifically where the jut comes in. Yeah. But that's center field. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, it, It's not going to happen. You can't do it in left but field. I, 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 I will maintain the argument that the most home run robberies generally happen in center field, mm-hmm. and the most exciting ones, I, with the exception of Devereaux, well, left field, I, and I, but back. I also think that's in part because you typically have more athletic players playing in center field, mm-hmm. right? Like I do, th- I genuinely believe that part of that is the fact that we've just moved, we've kind of made left field, right field west mm-hmm. a little bit as terms of who we line up out there. In fact, I might, I, mean, I have to do some more of this. It feels almost like there have been more 
well-rounded athletes playing right field mm-hmm. in recent years. Well, that's where you playing, want your best arms. You're specifically related to the arm, right? And because the guys that have the best arms are typically the guys that have are a bit more well-rounded athletes, it feels like I'm trying to say this in a nice way. The donkeys have shifted more towards left field, mm-hmm. and that leads to left less spectacular. You get more Manny Ramirez running around in in left field, not really trying, but you know. Hey, we got somebody else we need to DH tonight, so stick Manny out there for a little while and, and let him run around. It just feels like part of it has been the way we've treated the left field position. There are fewer Brady Andersons that play left field. Now, if you're an athletic outfielder, you're just going to play center field. Mm-hmm. Austin Hazo, he's playing left field for the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, for now. Like, he's I arguably their best outfielder. I agree. I don't know that I think that I, like if you ask me to pencil in whether Austin Hayes is going to be a, a a major league player for five years, I'm still ways away from having any confidence that that's the case. He's got to stay healthy. And at some point, again, remember before that they were letting Ryan Mountcastle run out around in left yeah. field, like the and Trey Mancini. You know, I mean, like guys that are positionless players that aren't. Uh, even those guys are capable of catching a ball at the wall. And that's the bummer. The bummer is it's just not an option at all anymore. Because even those even the positionless players could still it might not look as spectacular. A six inch vertical. Mark Smith out but there. But they were still doing it. Yeah. Like you were still seeing it. It was still a possibility. That's gone now. Yes, it was not like the catch that Billy Hamilton made the other night. Holy F. Doing that in spring training with the running up the wall like he was Bo Jackson. Bro, maybe save that for a real game. Well, we'll just see a lot of doubles robberies instead. Yeah, I don't really know that that's, that's the It's same. not the same thing because yeah, there's no really crowd directly exactly behind right. you. It's just not the same. Not the same. All right. Uh, tidbit brought to you today by Glory Days Grill, where all weekend long, today through Sunday, they've got to celebrate the start of baseball season, the Danker Dog. It is a loaded chili cheese dog. And throw in delicious fries for only $8.99. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where there's always great food and good sports. All right, today's opening day for 14 teams, as seven games are on the slate, beginning with Brewers Cubs at 2.20 Eastern Time and ending with Padres Diamondbacks at 9.40. There were supposed to be nine games, but games between the Yankees, Red Sox, and Mariners Twins were postponed due to inclement weather, leading credence to Glenn's thought that every stadium should be a dome, especially in Minifreakin'Soda. Did you know that Bryce Harper is the active leader in opening day home runs with five, leaving him three short of the all-time record held by three different players who all, at one time or another, played for the same franchise, though not necessarily at the same time? Sure. Who were the five players in Major League Baseball history with at least seven home runs on opening day? I can tell by your scoffing. I I think I know one of them. I do think Frank Robinson... Is he, on is his no, list. he is tied for first right. with eight. So now the question becomes: three of the other four are Hall of Famers. If that helps, three of the other four are Hall of Famers. So does, these are guys that played for the Reds. There are two guys that played for the Reds in their careers. Yeah, well, I mean, if they weren't guys that were known as Reds, like I was going to say, you know, Tony Perez, uh, Joey Votto. You're missing the obvious one. Like you just mean we, we should. I'm, what you're saying is I should just be naming the all-time greatest Cincinnati Reds? I'm so confused by the, what the, you're trying to say. This guy's a Hall of Famer he, who played for the Reds. It was uh-huh. his second team. K- 
Ken Griffey. Ken Griffey Jr. Okay. I mean, He's like, the guy who I knew right That's not somebody that you associate with the Cincinnati Reds. Though. I mean, he played there just about as long as he played with, with you the don't Mariners. Associate, Ken Griffey was not the player in Cincinnati that he wasn't. Ken Griffey Jr. is a Mariner, period. Right. Yes, he also happened to play for Cincinnati, but he was not Ken Griffey Jr. when he was in Cincinnati. Right, but that's not my point. I understand. He's a Hall of Famer uh, who uh, played for the Reds. I know. He was known but, for playing. He was there for 10 years. Was it 10 years? He was there from 2000 to 2008. It's not quite ten years, but it's close. It's nine years, nine it's close. seasons. It's close. Uh, Griffey was a red from uh, yeah two thousand to two thousand. Yeah, you're right. Two thousand eight, not the entire two thousand eight season. Right. Um, but nobody thinks of him as a red. Like right, just, you think you think of him as a mariner, but that wasn't my point. I understand that, but it's just it's what makes it wonky, right? I get I get it. You're not wrong. It's a you're not wrong. You're just an a hole. That's all. <laughs> Fair. Uh, that's my all. wife says that to me yeah, all the you're time. Fine. You're not wrong. You're just an a hole. It's uh, Big Lebowski. Uh, and so there's another red on the list. You're mm-hmm. saying there's another red. Really cool nickname, the lone non-Hall of Famer on this list. Really cool nickname. Really cool nickname. Really cool nickname. I thought it was a really cool nickname. I don't know, man. It's also 11:44. Big so. Donkey Adam Dunn. Oh, okay. I mean, I. I, I, I okay, fine. Anyway, All anyway. Right. Do you even do you even care to? I'm just. I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna. It's such a broad. It's very gonna be very difficult for me. To, Willie Mays and Eddie Matthews each. And they're both really good. Guys. You know, yeah. what I mean, like if I just would have kept guessing the best players. Willie Mays had a lot of home runs. I guess it makes sense he would have hit a lot of and them. And they're on. the only two players to do it for one team. Okay. Very good. Very good. Yeah, the only one I knew was Frank Robinson, just because I had heard that at some point. I actually did not know the only one I knew years. was Ken Griffey Jr. That's ironic. How about that? The yeah. uh, isn't it, for, legendary Cincinnati Red, Ken the Griffey le- Jr. <laughs> he was still a legend when he was there. He's not a legend in Cincinnati. He, he was, was still a legend. <laughs> Wait, not, yeah, okay, uh, right. He's not a legend for being in That's the Cincinnati. That's fine. He was a legend who happened to play for the Cincinnati Reds. That's fair. You're not wrong about that. All right, uh, tidbit, or uh, sorry, tubular is, you know what, actually, yeah, it's brought to you by the Baltimore Police is who tubular is brought to you today. Uh, join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good. BPDrecruit.org. Here's what's coming up totally tubular. wise. the Masters? Right now you can watch it on ESPN Plus and Paramount Plus and Masters.com. It moves to ESPN starting at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, baseball today, Mass and Mets Nationals at 4, MLB Network Brewers Cubs at 2, Astros Angels at 10. Big Ten Network has Penn State Maryland Women's Lacrosse at 6.30, the Frozen 4 tonight on ESPN2 uh, for Michigan and Denver at 5, then ESPNU for Minnesota State and Minnesota. ESPN2 also has Reds Braves tonight at 8. I forgot they're moving that to ESPN2 because ESPN already, not, not a joke, couldn't show baseball tonight because they have to replay the Masters. That's what you're going to get on And yet ESPN they won't tonight. play it before 3 o'clock. Yeah, that's, but that's because they can't. Because they can't get a full day of coverage. They just have to try to maximize what they have. They're going to replay the Masters tonight. Uh, TNT, Celtics, Bucks, 7.30. Lakers, Warriors are 10. ESPN Plus and Hulu for Penguins, Rangers, the 7. Sabres, Hurricanes, 7.30. Uh, Truck Series Race in Martinsville at 8 on FS1. Uh, everything else, GlennClarkRadio.com. Anything non-sports-wise? Uh, one correction, Mets, Nats has been moved to 7 because of the, because of oh, the weather. Okay. I heard that on the radio today. Uh, very good. Um, on Congratulations. <laughs> You've got the radio. <laughs> on NBC, um, Michelle Pfeiffer, who is a fine and beautiful woman, will be on Jimmy Fallon. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Jason, right. C- Jason Siegel will be on Jimmy Kimmel Live at 11.35 on ABC. Um, and then on Netflix, uh, Senzo, Murder of a Soccer Star, Netflix documentary. Um, and then stuff and things. All right, very good. Oh, the the season, the season, the series finale of the dropout. Amanda Seyfried. Oh, deserves, you're all the, in on that. She yeah. deserves a freaking Emmy. Right. Her portrayal right. is 
spot on. All right. Very good. Okay, thanks today to Larry Lucchino, Rick Sutcliffe, Danny Manning, Boye Mafe. We'll get it all up in the greatest hits section of the Archives. tab at glennclarkradio.com. Tomorrow on the program, Baltimore Police Commissioner Michael Harrison will join us in studio. Uh, Haseem Rahman Jr., who is fighting Tommy Morrison's son, and I think that's really cool. We're going to chat about that. Uh, again, speaking of things that I think are cool, Delonte D'Souza, who plays Michael Cooper on the HBO show Winning Time, and who happens to be from Baltimore, went to Poly, went to the University of Maryland. We're going to chat with him tomorrow. And uh, Spencer Anderson, University of Maryland offensive tackle, tell us about spring football. That's all on the way. Thanks, everybody, at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, the Baltimore Police, Great Eights Memorabilia, FanDuel Sportsbook, Live Casino and Hotel, Underdog Fantasy Football, Blue Line K9, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Paul. Follow him on Twitter at Paul Valley the Third. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great uh, Thursday night. Go nobody. Duke sucks. Women su- uh, uh, go go Maryland women's lacrosse. That's what I meant to say. Go Maryland women's lacrosse. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks too. If you're with us on audio, do nothing. If you're with us on video, give us a minute. We'll be right back with simply the bets. what I meant to say is it would be time for Weekend at Bookies. Do a lot of these shows. Things run together. Weekend at Bookies. I apologize. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. I'm Glenn Clark. He's Paul Valley. Coming up in a bit, Bet Preps. Brad Feinberg will join us. He'll give us the fine lines for the week. We'll talk about the Masters. We'll also talk a little bit about basketball as the playoffs. We are. I can't believe this is it for the regular season this weekend. Maybe the MVP odds. We'll talk about all those things with Brad Feinberg a little bit later on in the program. And uh, in just a second, Andrew Stecka will join us to get us this week's stats and figures for some bets that he likes. Again, the Masters underway down at Augusta. El Tigre is on the course. Everybody is excited about the big, big cat being loose again right now. Nobody really putting up any numbers. I know the weather wasn't great um, for the day down at Augusta, but I would in, uh, I would still imagine that someone's going to end up posting a number at some point today. Everybody's sort of around uh, one under par at the moment. We will be watching the final round of the Masters this Sunday in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. Myself, Drew Forrester, will be there with you. We got free rounds of golf to give away to Baltimore's Classic 5 golf courses. We want to see you there. We'll give you some betting advice. Drew's going to help you win some money. I got a surprise for everybody Sunday in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. We will see you there for the final round of the Masters. 
This man squeezes in his busy week of pantslessly watching golf. He's got his stats and figures for us. He is our friend, Mr. Andrew Stetkin. He's with us on Weekend at Bookies. What's going on, buddy? What's going on, Glenn? Golf. We got baseball. We got the Orioles making, you know, more signings. It's just a busy Wait, week. Wait, what? The Orioles making more signings? Well, yeah, of course, Matt Harvey's Oh, I back, didn't right? even notice that. I swear to God, I didn't even notice that. Is that official? Oh, God. Oh. It's, uh, it's rumored this morning. Oh, so well, we'll... No, it was rumored earlier in the week, too. I I, I was I thought you were... Uh, I he's... think John Heyman is... Oh, he says he's close to, to a deal. He's deal, close so. to a deal. Oh, God. Oh, I don't want to have to say the things I'm going to have to say about that. I would rather. Well, I like give it. you a break from talking about Lamar Jackson. You contract, say that, but right? I like it. When, I like it when the Orioles sign somebody. You can just say, "Why do we care?" Right? Like, I like it exactly. when we can just say, "Why do we care?" This is nothing. Let's move on. It's not a thing. Unfortunately, because it's Matt <laughs> Harvey, I'm going to have to say something else about it. Yep. Yep. Which makes it sure. It sure gives. It, hey, man. At least it gives you something to talk about, right? Thanks, thanks, buddy. That's that's the thing that I'm looking to talk about. That's the one. <laughs> All right, let's get some uh, let's get some stats and figures this week. Why did you have to do that to me? I was so okay when when Heyman said it the other day. I was so okay with just ignoring it and being like, hopefully somebody says to them, "Yeah, really, <laughs> really, we're gonna do that now." Yeah. Like last year, okay, got it. Now, uh, save that conversation. Uh, I feel you. Stats and figures. Uh, it, it was a tough one. Uh, you you nailed the Houston thing last time around. But uh, but missed on. I tried telling you the the draw was the play in the U.S. Mexico match. You didn't listen to me. You didn't listen. And what did you learn? You did have that. And then the Duke the Duke Texas Tech thing was tough. You know. Yeah, that, yeah. Just, we were both wrong it about just that. Went the wrong way late. So yeah, it was looking good for a minute. For a minute, it was looking real good. And then all of a sudden, yeah. Duke refused to miss a shot. It was a weird. It's all right. A lot of teams. A lot of teams blow leads like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Carolina did. Uh, a little bigger one, in fact. Um, all right, so let's get into it for this week. We still haven't gotten uh, on the last time around. Your stats and figures included some masters bets, so we'll still hold you yeah, to those we'll next week. Yeah, we'll see how they week. play out this weekend. You had Victor Hovland and Matt Fitzpatrick as uh, bets that you thought were willing were ones that somebody should make. Where are you going first? What is what is first up for stats and figures this week? Well, let's start off in the world of baseball because obviously it is technically opening day, even though it doesn't really feel like it with everything else going on. You know, we've got golf, as you mentioned, and basketball is winding down, which I'll I'll have something on that in a moment. Um, But let's start off with baseball. And I have to fully admit to you, I am not a big uh, over-unders guy when it comes to to, to win totals, but one of them sticks out to me. Um, and that's the San Francisco Giants, who, if you'll remember, won 107 games last year on their way to winning the National League West. Um, their over-under number is set at 85 and a half, and that, that's a 21-win difference. It just seems a little lopsided to me. Um, they were, I think, only projected somewhere in the mid-70s last year and, and obviously blew that number out of the way. But I like over on the Giants. They, um, they were 31-17 and 17 in one-run games last season, and even if that number comes back to earth a little bit, you still got a lot of breathing room there in order to hit that over uh, and get to 86 wins for the Giants. They're also, you know, you have to remember the NL West is is looked at as a as a tough division, right? Because you've got the Dodgers, who are obviously a superpower, and the Padres there as well. But the Giants last season went 32 and six combined against the Diamondbacks and Rockies, and they're going to have a lot of fat to chew on there again this year. So. I really like the Giants over 85 and a half wins this season. How do you think the number's so low? What do you, what do you think uh, people are trying to say there? I, it, it, that's what's so confusing to me. Uh, you know, and like I said, 
I'm not a huge over-unders guy in terms of the win totals, but that one just really stuck out like a sore thumb to me um, because I don't think the Giants are a, a bad team by any stretch. I just think that there's a lot of these projections out there that don't see them, you know. Yeah, it sort of, it sort don't of feels wrong. I don't it, think they're going to go out and win 100 games again this year. It sort of feels like they're way of saying, hey, we weren't wrong last year. You just guys just got lucky. We, we were right, right, and so we're not going to adjust to that because we think you guys just got lucky. From what I've seen yeah. with a lot of these projections, they, they – undercut the the good teams and oversell the bad teams. As yeah, but this is wins. a pretty dramatic undercut. All four like, teams in the AL East are given 88 wins, too. Well, I bet I get it, but they have there's four really good teams yeah. in the division. They can't all win 100 games, you know? Like, I understand that. I, you and, know, you Glenn, can, that's the point, too, that there, there are two teams in this NL West right. that really are not that good. So you can you can really you know clean up like like the Giants did last year and and again even if they don't go thirty two and six against those two teams if they you know if they only win twenty five of those games like that's still a pretty good record and 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 you're giving yourself a lot of breathing and a question in there still being exactly how good the Padres are are they going to bounce back a little bit this season we'll find absolutely out. a good question yeah all right next up uh, let's stay in the world of baseball I I, I did want to get something in for opening day um, you think. Glenn, do you know who the best team record-wise uh, is, uh, or winning percentage-wise, rather, in, in opening day history? Uh, you think I don't know that? <laughs> Come on. It's the it's the Boston Bridegrooms. Uh, hello? No. <laughs> no, it's actually the New York Metropolitan. Oh, they have is a 650 it? Is it? win percentage on opening day. They've won 39 of their last 52 opening day games. And they're going up against Patrick Corbin and the Nationals today. God, I, I was, uh, I was, them at minus I said Boston. Of course, it was the Brooklyn Bridegrooms. So, don't I get like half points yeah. because the Brooklyn Bridegrooms are in New York? So, don't I get like partial credit? No, I don't think you do. Oh, I, oh, think it's, it. uh, I think it's. I think the Mets are the answer, and that's the, the answer I was looking for. Thanks, so thanks a lot, Joe. I like the Mets uh, on opening day. I, you know, the Mets are obviously a, a very hyped team this season, and they, they're not going to have Degrom or Scherzer to start the year, but. They still have a really potent lineup, and against a guy like Patrick Corbin for the Nats, um, I, I just I like them to, to to line up their right-handers against that guy and and do some damage offensively and put up enough runs to win on opening day. Okay, all right. I mean, uh, does you know they, they move the game? I don't know if you heard, but uh, Paul has a radio, and so he learned that they moved the game back three hours. Uh, yeah, I did hear that. That's I pretty. That's that. a pretty dramatic. I think they'll be okay. That's because of some weather, correct? I think you're the only guy that doesn't have a radio, Glenn. I, Get with the times. I, yeah, no, this is it is the most modern form of, of audio consumption. You make a good point, Paul. And I'm, I apologize. How dare I? Um, I look, man. I'm not gonna. I I hate betting individual baseball games. Can I be honest about something? I hate betting individual baseball games. There so are let me ask so... you: this. If you're going to bet, what's your what's your mode of, of because, like I mentioned, I don't really love betting. The reason I don't love betting uh, win totals in baseball is because you're you're oh, investing yeah. your capital. For uh, a long I, I got to wait six months before I know if I'm going to make it. Right, I, and so I'm, I'm with you on that. Payoff if you win. It, it, this is why typically you'll see my my betting. I, I, it will take a dip during this time of the year. Baseball games are just so wonky to me, right? And I get you can say that about just about any sport, but more so in baseball, where all you're really betting is the pitching matchup, right? Like, that's the only thing you're actually betting is the starting pitching matchup. And what happens when that guy has his shoulder get sore in the third inning, right? Like, it, I just find it difficult to bet. I almost wish that you could bet, like, series or something like that, because I just find it very difficult sure. for me to be invested in betting individual baseball games because there's 162 of them and you just never know on which night a team kind of doesn't care 
right? Like, they're just sort of not... This, this ain't the one for us. We're not all that concerned about this one because there's going to be five more this week, you know? Like, it's right. just a... Well, and to your point, that also is, is the reason to maybe jump on some of the favored teams on opening day, some of the teams that are going to go out and put their best foot forward. Yeah, you say that, um, right. In, in their, in their, at least in the first weekend. You can, you I can, hear you. I hear you. You know, there's not a, you know there's no one out there that says, oh, we don't care, we've got another one tomorrow in the early going of the season. That's, that's more right. what you're going to find in July and August than anything else. All right. That's a fair point. It is a fair point. Uh, also, uh, would so you, hang on. Uh, what, what do you, Aaron's, Aaron Oster suggested we bet nothing but overs for the first couple of weeks because the pitching is going to take a while to catch up with the short and spring training. What do you make of that? Yeah, I don't hate that. Um, as long as the overs are not ridiculous numbers. Um, I actually... That was one of the other notes I had made about this game. The over uh, in that Mets national game was nine runs. Um, I don't mind that either. Uh, if you pair those two together, even if you want to pair the, the Mets money line uh, at minus 116 and the over at minus 118, you can get that up to like plus 236 about there. So you, a little better than two to one if you want to um, throw a little same game parlay on that. Um, but I don't, I don't hate that play either because I do, I do agree. I think that um, bats will be ahead of arms here, at least in the early going. I want to make especially this, with the shortened training. Ma- I want to make this very clear. I religiously never want to do anything that you suggest me to do, but I might take you up on that. You're saying Mets money line and the over. Mets money line and the over on the on the on the run total. Right. You can get a little better than two to one if you I do have, those two together. I have bet sure. dumber things in my life. I might go ahead and give it a shot. Andrew Steck is with us on weekend at bookies. He's giving us his stats and figures for the week. What's next? Let's shift over to the world of uh, English Premier League football. Nine and um, a half? Is that the number, really? Nine and a half? Yeah. Oh, God. All right. Fair enough. Sorry. You, you know what? I apologize. It's your bet. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know that John and Little Rock will be happy about this next one. Uh, big match th- this weekend that will probably decide the Premier League title between Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, Manchester City have led this thing pretty much the whole way, but Liverpool have, have cut the the lead down to a point. Uh, so it's, it's, this is a real big, big match here on Sunday. I've been it's saying kind of that. A, uh, yeah, you have been saying that. It's almost a title decider with both teams having about eight matches left in the season. Um, Manchester City are an interesting team. I looked this up earlier. They have dropped points this season uh, to four different teams. They, they lost twice to Tottenham. They drew twice to Southampton. They lost once and drew once to Crystal Palace. The only other team they've dropped points to is Liverpool. Their previous hmm. meeting was a draw. Um, so there's a couple of different ways that you can bet this match. You can bet it, bet to a draw at, at plus 260, or you can bet Liverpool outright at plus 260. Um, those would both be fairly reasonable guesses to make. But in order to cover myself a little bit, I'm going to bet this uh, with Liverpool or a draw at minus 140 and pair it with an over one and a half goal mark, which gets me to plus 111 okay. uh, in, a, in a parlay there. Okay. So I can get you know better than even odds um, if, I, if I take both Liverpool or a draw and go over one and a half goals because the last time these two teams played, it was a 2-2 draw. I have to imagine both teams are at least going to score once. Um, so I like Liverpool or a draw along with over one and a half goals for a plus 111 parlay. Okay, I like that. I like that. And one more for the week. One more for the week, and this one's going to touch uh, your interests 
very much. Uh, um, the uh, Phoenix Suns are a ooh, basketball team that you really root for. I am aware of them. I am familiar. Yeah, you're aware of they them. They have aware not that they've set cared. A franchise record in 63 wins. This year. They have uh, not cared to wins. play particularly well down the stretch, however. Not been a concern they of theirs. But it's interesting. If you watched them last night, you know, even against the Clippers team, uh, and they were sitting Devin Booker and Chris Paul and not, you know, kind of resting some guys down the stretch here, then they, they covered the spread in that game and they made did. it a game and didn't, didn't win it outright, but um, we're, we're, we're competitive even without two of their better players. So um, they are, they are a, a force to be reckoned with. I, I did some digging here, 63 wins uh, in, a, in a regular season. Um, that has happened 32 times in NBA history. 20 of those teams, went on to make the NBA Finals. That's Ooh. a 63% clip. Ooh. Um, if the Suns were to happen to win their final two regular season games tomorrow and Sunday, they would bump their win total to 65 wins. That's even more. That would make, th- th- yeah, that percentage uh, jumps from 63 to 76% of those teams make the NBA Finals. Um, and even at 63%, I-, I love the odds of, Suns to win the West at plus 115 right now. You're getting plus odds on a team that historically would make the finals 63% of the time. Um, that's just that's good odds for that, I think. Um, and even though it, it seems kind of boring to bet a favorite and a, and a team that has looked this good and, and the odds are not as, as juiced as, say, the Warriors or the Jazz or, or any of these other um, – The, the you know, Grizzlies who decided to become a the thing Grizzlies when John Moran got hurt. Or any of these other teams in the West. I like plus 115 for a team with that good of a chance historically that wins this many regular season games to at least win their conference. All right. I love that. That's my favorite. That's the f- my favorite bet you'll ever give me for what it's worth. That's why I saved it for last for you. Big fan of that one. All right. We'll get them up on uh, Twitter, at Glenn Clark Radio, the stats and figures suggestions for the week, and we'll continue to monitor uh, Victor Hovland and, and who is Matt Fitzpatrick, who I definitely knew was a thing before you told me to go bet on him two weeks ago as the Masters unfolds this weekend. At A. Stetka on Twitter is how you follow him. Andrew Stetka, always appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. All right, sir. Thank you. It's Andrew Stetka checking in with this week's stats and figures with a few suggestions, and I like him. I'm a fan. I like where his head's at. When we come back in, we will take a look at the fine lines. Brad Feinberg from Bet Prep joins us next. This is Weekend at Bookies, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. 
Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets with Glenn Clark and Paul Valley every Tuesday morning at 1140. Fandle Sportsbook GM Bruce Billick and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and even a few winners. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday at 1140 a.m. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy the award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings, or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for daily specials every weekday, like $7.99 burgers on Mondays, $6.99 nachos on Thursdays, and Taco Tuesdays. And watch all of your favorite games at Glory Days Grill, with 25 screens and private speakers at every table, plus game day drink specials. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. Baseball is back. I'm Paul Valley, And I'm Zach Goodman. You can find us live every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon talking all things Orioles and Major League Baseball. Like the debuts of Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez. And how the rotation and bullpen are rounding into form. Watch us live at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Or you can listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. That's the bat around live with the latest in baseball coverage every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR live. It's at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. And try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants. All right, back in here on Weekend at Bookies, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. We will catch up with Brad Feinberg in just a second. Get his... Fine lines for the week with the Masters, some basketball stuff as we get ready for the start of the playoffs. It's amazing. We're already there. We're a couple weeks away in hockey. I, I guess they had, they had when they built the schedule, they had um, factored in an Olympic break that n- never actually occurred because they didn't participate in the Olympics this year. But, you know, so it is. They still have a few weeks to go in their regular season. Meanwhile, the NBA regular season is wrapping up this week. Just checking a couple of updated odds. We went through the Masters odds earlier in the week, and they're moving kind of at the moment now that the tournament has gotten underway. Not, again, still no big mover, so nothing significant that's occurred as far as live odds for the Masters. John Rahm remains the favorite at 10-1. to 1. Um, Looking at uh, just a couple of MLB odds, Dodgers are the favorite to win the World Series at plus 480. Blue Jays at plus 850. Then the White Sox, 950. The Astros at 10 to 1. The Braves at 12 to 1. The Brewers at 12 to 1. The Yankees, 13. The Mets, 15. The Padres and Rays, both 16 to 1. And if you're feeling froggy, if you're someone who says, hey, I like betting, I like taking chances. 500 to 1 
is where you find the Baltimore Orioles to win the World Series. Hey, you never know. I wouldn't bet that. I would not do that if I were you. But you just never know. And bigger bets have cashed in over the years. More or, or longer odds have cashed in over the years on various things. In fact, I'm trying to pull this up because <clears throat> here we go. This is from ESPN Stats and Info. The Lakers were officially eliminated from playoff contention this week. If you wanted to bet on that before the season, you could have gotten the Lakers to miss the playoffs at 16-1, to which are the exact same odds that you could get right now on the Orioles making the playoffs. Just goes to show you, you never know what might happen. You never know. That's all. Don't think it's likely. I wouldn't bet it. I'd avoid it altogether if possible. But um, those are your odds as far as the Orioles are concerned for this year. Again, getting um, my numbers come from the FanDuel Sportsbook. Other numbers might come from other places, but that's where we get ours. All right. With that in mind, oh, by the way, the Orioles number again uh, for the year 61.5 is the win total that's available in the FanDuel Sportsbook. It's time for us to get our fine lines. Joining us now from Bet Prep, he is our buddy, Mr. Brad Feinberg. He's the prop king. He's the man who told you to bet Carolina to cover, and he nailed it. Make sure exactly the way that he imagined he was going to nail it. He's Brad Feinberg. He's with us now here on Weekend at Bookies. What's going on, Brad? How are you? I'm very good, my friend. How are you? I'm yeah, good. I, well, I had to tell you something. That was that was an interesting game. I don't yeah. know if you agree with me. I I think. I, I think that was a horrible line. Carolina, in my opinion, was the far more talented team. I think if they played that game 100 times, Carolina wins it over Interesting. 60. I think the wrong side was favored. Carolina played as bad as they could play, and it took a career poor game from Carol Blub That's a good point. to lose the game in the last second. Yeah, right, I think they would have destroyed Kansas. And they, and they still had a shot to tie. That is a really – obviously, Love was a mess. Um, it's an interesting well, I thought. I think they have much but, and, more better players. I don't think right. Kansas really was very talented. I think, I think North Carolina had the far more talented team. I thought that line was atrocious line. Um, again, because for the body of work over 32 games, I get why Kansas was the favorite. Right, I but get it. doing what they were but doing me, coming you in. Can't, you yeah. can't, it's not that simple. It's yeah. like, you know, if, uh, let's suppose, I'll give you an example. I was running a mile for, uh, you know, every single day for for a year. But the first half, I was you know, 40 pounds heavier. But the second half, I was 40 pounds lighter. I was running the mile a lot quicker. Well, my times for the average for the year are going to be a lot slower. But for the last, you know, a couple months, they're going to be much faster. To me, that was North Carolina. When they were actually playing at the end of the year, this was a really good team. It's a really uh, good point. And that wasn't being factored into my opinion in the line. Well, you got the cover. That's the part that matters. Yes, it took one of the worst I turnovers in basketball cover, I, history. I, I, I'm, I'm greedy. What can I say? <laughs> I don't blame you at all. And yet, to your point, look, it took Baycott going back out again at the end of the game and Brady Mannix's face being treated like he was the Brooklyn brawler in the first half. I mean, it took a lot of things. But all's well yes, that ends. Sir. All's well that ends in a Carolina cover. I too bet Carolina to cover, so I was quite happy on Monday night myself. <laughs> all right, Brad. A couple things I want to cover with you. Um, let me let me start. Uh, the Masters are what everybody's into this week. That's what everybody wants to throw money on. Even the people that don't care about golf. And I would think that that is to the benefit of a smarter better. That there are a lot of casual betters that are throwing money in on a sport where they don't really know what they're talking about. They're just like, oh, I've heard of Tiger Woods. I want to bet on him. That's the way that it goes. <laughs> 
how do you take advantage of a weekend like this where casual bettors are throwing money in and it has to affect lines? Well, look, one thing I will say is, to me, people love to bet, and I get it. I, again, I get it. I get it. They love to bet who's going to win the Masters, who's going to win the tournament. The hold these casinos take on these bets is astronomical. The holds are usually sometimes 60 70%. What's that mean? If they should be paying out, you know, for every $100 they put in, they're keeping way too much of that hold. They're not paying out anywhere near 100 cents in the dollar. It is absolutely, like if you bet a, you know, into a futures pool, that's why mechanical parlays usually make the most sense because they take a much bigger hold. When there's a minus 110, minus 110 on each side, you're getting a fair hold of only 4.5% against you. Not so on these futures. My advice to everyone out there would be, Bet a guy, bet his round, bet a matchup, hmm. uh, bet a top 10, bet a top 20, bet a top 30. When you bet to win a tournament out of, in the Masters is a smaller field, but still it's close to 100 people, it is so hard to win a golf tournament. Right. It is so such a hard ask. And I know it's fun, I get it, but to me, the thing I've made far more money on, I don't even bet the winners anymore really, is because it's too hard. Unless I, Dave Shambo, last year when, during COVID, or maybe it was two years ago, I saw he was driving the ball 100 yards farther than he used to be. I took him in every future, the U.S. Open, the Masters, the PGA, because fundamentally something changed with him, and I knew the lines were going to crash. That's okay, you know, because if you're getting a guy at 35 to 1, you think he's going to go off at 15, that's a different story. But my advice, again, is to really focus on matchups and top 10s, top 20s, um, I think trying to pick a winner is too hard. I, I did that. I played a parlay of uh, Finau in the top 20 and Schofley in the top 10. and and it's, Yeah, Schofley would be a great – that's a perfect example. What you just said was the most perfect example in the world. Xander Schofley has been as good of a golfer as there has been, right? He's been a terrific, terrific, terrific golfer. But one thing he has not done, right, is, win. is that he doesn't win these tournaments. Yep. Right? Glenn, he's, he, 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 has not, he has not won the tournaments. So to me, getting a guy like that to come to the top 20, you're cashing versus not cashing. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's the exact thought that I had. He's very consistent. He plays quite well in all of these big tournaments. He plays quite well, just, exactly. He plays, just, he plays quite well. But he doesn't, he hasn't, and Tony Finau, again, perfect example of what you said. Tony Finau, you know, he won one tournament in his career, right. but he's had a lot of success. Yep. He's had a lot of top 20s, a lot of top 10s. That's my advice to everyone out there. Stop searching for the needle in the haystack and try to. I always say there's nothing wrong with winning a bet. Oh, and if you're yeah, trying take to just it, right? pick a guy to win a tournament, that's not the best way to, to, to win a wager. I, I, but betting a guy to come to the top 20, a top 10, a, a dead matchup, you're trying to win. If it's just purely for entertainment, okay. But for me, I'm trying to make money. It's so it's so tough because I get it. You look at it and like if if you know you if you're enamored with Xander Schofield, you're like, hey, he's sitting there at twenty to one, right? Like I could really cash in if he wins the. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason that exactly. everyone's odds. It's very only one of these dudes can win this tournament. It's so true. It's like it's like a it's a it's but it's a, again. I can't tell you how many friends of mine. Oh, who do you think's gonna win? I want to bet the winner, and it's just it's like a tease, and and you want to do it. But you you can't. I'm yeah. telling you. I mean, or it's it, it. If you if you're going to allocate, let's say, two hundred hours to betting the Masters, if you want to bet like ten bucks out of the two hundred hours, okay, fine, five percent of it, go ahead. But it really shouldn't be any more than that. 
And if you talk to any pro, they don't they don't bet the, the winners of the tournament. Again, the example I would give is the DeChambeau thing of last year, where something fundamentally changed in his sure. game. Where if you're going to be able to get him in futures at thirty five to one, when you know he's going to go off at twelve to one, then that's fine to do. But outside of that, you're just you're 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 never going to win long term trying to pick a winner of a tournament. I'm Brad Feinberg. We know you're in Philly. I want to shift the conversation towards basketball. Yep. Right? I. I have chased a lot this year in so th- this is where you, you give me credit for my um my golf bet you're going to you're going to shake your head at some of the bets that I've made during the course of this year. I've had about 3 different MVP, MVP futures bets that I put in. I the, the night after the John Morant game where he hit the buzzer beater and had yeah, the incredible dunk. I was so enamored with the idea that like the country was going to start talking about John Morant and all of a sudden that I said I'm going to dip in a little bit and you know He's barely played since then, so that one's not going to cash in for me. Um, a couple weeks ago, or you know, what was it last week when Giannis hit the uh, the 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 buzzer beater three to win the game for the Bucks? I was like, man, there's still some juicy odds. This is still Giannis that we're talking about, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, where do you see the MVP market going? Does it coalesce around Joel Embiid, who certainly personally made his case quite a bit and was the favorite for the majority of the season, or like it, it just feels like it's a weirder MVP conversation than it's been in other years. Well, let me make this clear: those two people calling the MVP, Giannis is not one of them, mm-hmm. um, and neither is John Morant. Yeah, no it's very, yes, it's very sad players. for me. Very sad for me. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna win those. I but I think you already know that. Look, it's going to be either Embiid or Jokic. Here's the thing: information is king. And look, as a gambler, for everyone listening to the show, your own opinions are great, but at the end of the day. It's like, let's give an example. Let's suppose you want to ask a girl out on their date, and you're like, I think I'm a great guy. Well, if the girl doesn't like you, it's irrelevant. Right, right correct. But you may think that Joel Embiid deserves the MVP, and you may feel so passionately. You could be a debater, and you could say, here's why he deserves an MVP. Well, what you think means nothing. You try to get as much information as you can, what the voters are going to think, because that's what's relevant. And I personally think Joel Embiid deserves the MVP. But my opinion, who cares? My opinion means nothing. Mm-hmm. But when the guy from ESPN did the straw poll of the people who actually vote for the MVP, and 62% of the voters voted for Nikolai Jokic, 62%, and I believe it was like 29 for Embiid and 9 for Giannis, no one else got a vote, that let you know who's going to win the MVP. Unless something changes, which it could, but it's going to be either Embiid or Jokic. And I was—I bet as soon as it happened, I took Jokic plus a dollar sixty. The second I saw that article, and then you saw the, the shift. Yeah. It. So, um, you—if you, you get information like that to everyone listening, run, not walk, run and place that wager immediately because that's very actionable stuff. When you're getting people actually vote for this award and they do a straw poll with two weeks to go in it. There's a far better chance than not Nikolai Jokic is going back to back MVPs. Let me let me go back to that though for a second, Brad. Would you say because now it's down to like plus or minus two fifty, right? Would you still say, based on the information that we have, that's that's kind of free money? Go bet it anyway, even though no, the odds are good. I, I'm not going to. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. And I'm going to say this. First of all, last year I I said on every show I was on, Jokic minus three hundred, minus four hundred, minus five hundred. I go whatever you can afford. It's like you're going to earn. You know, minus 600, it's free money, you know, because he was getting 98, the same article, he got 98% of the vote. It's kind of like, you know, Tyler Hero for six man of the year this year. Mm -hmm. He's just factually going to win it. But no, because it was 62 to 29 and there's still two weeks left, I could actually, it wouldn't shock me if there was 
some of the people are like, wow, okay, my vote really does make a difference. Maybe maybe people who thought they're voting for Jokic thought Embiid was going to win it, and this was their way of saying, all right, well, let me even it out. I don't know. Um, I think a fair number is probably around 70 to 75% in okay. favor of Jokic winning it. That's And that translates in around minus 250 to minus 300 area. That's actually where I would have it because, again, it's not 90%. He was around 60%. So there is still a chance for things to change. So I do not think it's a slam dunk. Brad but I Fein- think he is the most likely winner. Brad Feinberg is with us. These are the fine lines here on Weekend at Bookies. Brad, with that in mind, you know we're we're on the cusp of the start of the NBA playoffs. Um, how how does betting the playoffs specifically shift? What are you looking for as we get into the playoffs? Where are there opportunities? Are are I know obviously you are the prop king. Are props still as good of plays once we get into the postseason? And there's maybe a bit more intensity to the average game, maybe a little bit more defense, perhaps, than we see in the average regular season game. Well, that's a great question. But here's the thing. Usually a lot of times you'll maybe look, not look, but there's more value sometimes potentially in unders because, you know, you're getting a situation where, um, you know, people like to bet overs or whatnot. But in, in the playoffs, usually the best players play more minutes. You actually have a guy averages 32 minutes a game, one of your best five starters. Maybe in the postseason they'll play 36 a game. I usually look to play overs in the postseason because I usually get more minutes from the starters. Wow. Let's suppose you have a guy who averages, I'm just going to throw something out there, 4.5 rebounds in 20 and, and 33 minutes a game. Well, I think he's going to get 37 minutes a game. That 4.5 is maybe closer to a 5.1 or something like that. So if I can get over 4.5, I have some math on my side where I'm like, okay, I'm going to get an extra 12, 15% bump in minutes. I'm going to look to take the overs for the good players because usually they're minute tries. Wow, that's a fascinating. I hadn't even thought about that whatsoever, right? The, the, the numbers are still being set based on what we saw Correct. them do during the season. But the reality Absolutely. is they're going to do more because they're going to play more minutes during the course of the postseason. Absolutely. Well, that is fascinating. I am glad I had this conversation with you, Brad <laughs> Feinberg, because that's going to shape me. Anything else as far as advice is concerned that as we get into the start of the NBA playoffs, you, you think uh, people should well, know? Well, there used to be something called the zigzag where um, a team, especially, but this has now been baked in, especially there was a, a trend where the team was down 2 nothing When they'd come home to game three, the team that was down 2 nothing. They would, in the first half, they were covering those games. And I don't have the data in front of me, but I think it was around 80%. Wow. Like, no joke, it was that ridiculously high. So now the sports books have adjusted to that, and they've made it where uh, the zigzag, which is, again, basically it's, it's exactly how it sounds. The team loses a couple of games all, then the other team's going to win because, you know, that, that, that just seems the way that it works. They've adjusted that right now where they've adjusted for that third game, huge momentum, where you'll get a game where – the game line may be pick them, and the thir- the first half line will be that the the home team minus four, crazy stuff like that. And you'd be like, oh my, shaking your head, how's that possible? It's because over twenty years, the data, which is staggering, of how well teams that are down two nothing at home do, and that specifically the first half, because I guess human nature, they're playing like their right. heads are on fire, and they have to do it. And I guess human nature is. As much as you'd like to think, oh my God, it's the playoffs. I'm gonna try. I guess there's just a, a letdown that you can't even you can't even judge it. It just happens. As much as you don't want it to. So, but I would say that a lot of those edges have gone away that I used to really feast on. But I don't think that if people who have played them in the past, I'd say a lot of that edge is gone. That would be my advice to people who you've heard that or whatnot. Oh, the zigzag never loses. Well. The sports books really have caught they've, on. They've so I would say it. be careful and tread lightly in those situations going forward. What do people need to know about bet prep, Brad? 
the best site, man. I got to tell you, and I'm not, I, I'm not saying it because I work for the company. The, the company changed my life. I do these props, and if you go to betprep.com, tells you everything you want to know. And that's, that's how I've made my money in life. You know, for example, if you're doing, you know, LaMelo ball is assist, you know, or, or rebounds five and a half, for example, it's a good bet at the open today. You look at LaMelo balls rebounds, you'll see his over under should be six and a half. So when you get a five and a half, Brett Pepper will tell you in 70 games, you know, he's, you know, 42 and 28 to the over. A pretty nice percentage that letting you know that maybe these things are mispriced. That prep will tell you recent trends, how they've gone against each player, each team. It's, it's a free site. Again, there's, not, oh, there's nothing unreal. bad to say about it. I love it. It's unreal that it's all available for you for free. Again, betprep.com. Go sign up right now. At Brad's Best Bets on Twitter is how you follow him. Brad Feinberg, always appreciate you, my friend. Thank you for I taking a couple I appreciate you, my friend. Good luck to everyone out there. Brad Feinberg joining us for the Fine Lines this week here on Weekend at Bookies. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. All right. One of these days we need to get one of these preposterous props to actually cash. So we're not just throwing them out there. We need to get one that actually cashes at some point. This is one that, that could cash. You think you got one that it, might it, cash? It's, it's a master's bet. Oh, but it's preposterous, you say. I don't think it's preposterous. Well, then why is it a preposterous? It's supposed to be Paul's preposterous prop. Well, it could be. Pro- it, okay. All right. Let me explain okay. it to us. and we'll, I'll, I'll be the judge of how of the preposterous. Preposterity, preposterousness. Okay, do do? I need to know what the uh, the verb of the, the the adverb is here. Preposterosity. Well, I like that. I, it's definitely not right, but I think we should roll with it anyway. Preposterosity. Yeah. Um, so at plus twenty six hundred, you have a Victor Hovland top a parlay of Victor uh, Hovland top ten finish, Cam Smith top twenty, uh, Fleetwood top thirty, and Kevin Na top forty. Now. Hovland is one of the favorites. Cam Smith has been playing out of his mind the last six months, although not as well recently. Uh, I've always thought that Fleetwood was a good putter, and Drew always says that mm-hmm. putting wins the Masters. Uh, Kevin Na, he has missed the cut in something like three of his last five It's outings. not great. Um, but he has finished tied for 12th at the Masters three times, including last year. Mm. So he plays better, and he has, mm. in all the ones where he doesn't miss the cut, he's finished like top 24. Or higher. All right, so you're run it down again. It's so it's um it's uh, Tommy Fleetwood at uh, I'm I'm sorry Victor Hovland top ten finish Cam Smith top twenty Fleetwood top thirty and Kevin Na top forty and that includes ties at plus twenty six hundred. Right. The num the number's high. It's a big number. It's it's, it's a, a big, big number. number. But I feel like I feel like Na is the is the big wild card here right. because of how many cuts he's missed recently. But I feel like he'll play just well enough to put to put you in the money. If you I mean, I'm going to give you a pass for this week because we're talking about the Masters, so I like it. I, I feel like the concept of the preposterous prop is supposed to be some sport that nobody's ever heard of and nobody knows anything about, and so like I feel like that's that's the idea of the 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 segment. But I'm going to give it to you because we're talking about the Masters this week, and uh, it's a long shot, so who knows? Yeah, I, I, that's why I went that way because right. it because it is the Masters. All right, all right. I'm going to give you a pass on that one. All right, very good. Uh, thanks to Andrew Stecka. Thanks also to Brad Feinberg from Bet Prep. Don't forget, have a plan and know the risks before you start gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. And we will see you in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel this Sunday We will be there. Come join myself and Drew Forrester. Try to win some money on the final round of the Masters. And we got free rounds of golf to give away to Baltimore's Classic 5 golf courses. So come hang out with us in the FanDuel Sportsbook this Sunday. 
This has been Weekend at Bookies. May the odds be ever in your favor.